And so Agent Cooper is just freaking out, screaming, what year is this? And then that's it. That is the final episode of Twin Peaks uh, Season 3. And uh, I thanks for listening. I wish, you know, obviously Duncan had been here to, to share it with us. But, uh, um, you know, he, he went on to do other things. Uh, coward! Ah, all right. So, uh, I, I guess we start over. Um, so Pete Martell is, uh, getting ready to go fishing and, oh, pizza's here. This is no pizza. It's a package from Duncan, my old nemesis. What do you say, Leo Stein? Do we open it? He can't talk. Leo Stein's dead. All right, all right, fine. I'll open the package. Let's see what old Duncan has to say. Hi, Bo. This is Duncan. I hope this makes its way to you safely and untampered. We've been lied to all along. The case into Twin Peaks is not what we thought it was at all. And the special task force, codenamed Blue Rose, wasn't as innocent as we were led to believe. Now you already know the story of Project Blue Book from our uncovering of that dossier dubbed The Secret History of Twin Peaks and the disappearance surrounding former FBI agent Wyndham Errol and his connections to the special branch codenamed Blue Rose. We were led to believe that Wyndham Merrill had went missing in an area of Ghostwood Forest in Outer Twin Peaks, Washington State, that the Duke Pass tribe called the Black Lodge. He was linked to the disappearance of one Agent Dale Cooper, a former prodigy of Gordon Cole and the Blue Rose Task Force. We believed that Agent Cooper had selfishly sacrificed his safety prior to his MIA status when he ventured into the woods to rescue a local waitress, Annie Blackburn. Cooper succeeded in this mission and once retrieving her made a speedy recovery although it was first believed that he might have been suffering from some form of post-traumatic stress as it was noted by several Twin Peaks residents that Cooper appeared to be acting odd. Now during our investigations last year we followed the events that led to the understanding that Cooper who returned was not the real Cooper at all. Furthermore, that the imposter had created an elaborate crime syndicate to finance his obsession for a series of coordinates which we later found out to be the location of a mythical entity known as Jaldi. But what if he wasn't the only one obsessed with this? Bo, so was Blue Rose. In fact, I think that their project is just a smokescreen for their true intentions. A plot so nefarious that my source, codenamed damn fine coffee, told me it could risk all life on this planet. FBI Director Gordon Cole, Agent Cooper and a high-ranking official in Project Blue Book by the name of Major Garland set out a plan in 1989 for Agent Cole to infiltrate this Black Lodge and capture the entity known as Judy, using the cover story of rescuing Annie Blackburn. 
Cooper entered with this mission as his primary concern, and thus, when he failed and a Cooper clone was created, it shared the same primary concern, but was free from the moral backbone and law-binding methods that we're trained at at the Academy. It wasn't until Cooper was finally returned safe to this plane of existence that this mission was finally declassified to members of Blue Rose Task Force and ultimately relayed to myself. It should be no surprise that Cooper resumed his previous mission with the help of Gordon Cole and his former secretary, Diane Evans. Cooper has now since vanished again, Cole is no longer available for comment and Evans has also vanished. There were very high-ranking officials that were aware of this plot, bow to gain a being of pure, negative, destructive energy under the guise of protecting and serving the public. Blue Rose is above the law and appears to be unimpeachable. I tried relaying this information to A.D. Skinner, who has since requested my removal from the records office where I've been stationed since our last assignment. Bo, they know I was getting too close. I was about to uncover a conspiracy that would shake the foundations of power. This morning I received word from A.D. Skinner that I have to be reassigned to the basement of the Washington Bureau office. I'm to carry out work on some case files which have been previously suspended due to the reckless manner in which our former agents investigated them. Bo, they've reopened the X-Files. I need you, buddy. Now, more than ever. Bo, the truth is out there. That's it. Another case. All right, Duncan, I'm on the way. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Duncan, I've returned, sir, from the wilds of the Pacific Northwest. Here... <laughs> To investigate with you one more time, you son of a bitch. Look at that beard. That beard is majestic. It is. Well, it, I I didn't actually own any shaving tools. Oh, well, well. That makes sense. And I came right here. I didn't stop for a haircut or a shower or yeah. toilet paper. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's kind of hitting me now. Whew. <sighs> it's, it's a natural scent, Duncan, when you're out in the woods. <laughs> It, it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing th that keeps you entertained is the different <laughs> smells you produce. <laughs> is, that, is that a new fragrance you're wearing? I think that may be some black Yukon Sucker Punch. Mm, the yeah. new fragrance for a man or a woman by DBCC. It's Ode Owl. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> Which is the sound you make when you smell it. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> uh, folks. Hey, it's uh, it's your old pals, uh, Duncan and Bo again. Hey, hey, <laughs> uh, we have returned. Uh, not just me this time. I uh, I joined Duncan once more. Yes, for an investigation into weird goings on, and uh, you you got a, a message to me. Mm -hmm. It was compelling. The the mystery, the grand mystery that you have suggested here is just too uh, too titillating uh, for a, a simple man like me to refuse. Well, I'm I'm glad that you came. I mean, let, let's be honest here. As special agents for the FBI, we we have a duty of care to the public. We, we protect and serve, bro. And 
you know, I didn't feel that doing the entire run, I mean, from start to finish, I did not feel that doing the entire run of Twin Peaks again was was protecting and serving the public. Yes, it was fun. (laughs) Yes, it was fun, but that's season two. That's season two. A couple of rough ones in there. Um, So, yeah, you know, I went back to work for the man. You know, some people like to call me a shill, a sellout, but I went back to work for the man and look, look what I have uncovered. And I, I, I mean... We've got the X-Files, dude. This is the coolest fucking thing that's ever happened. Is it, Duncan? Is it really? <laughs> Time will tell, but... <laughs> yeah, all right, before we dive into that. You know what? We we can't just abandon tradition. You can't piss on hospitality, Duncan. <laughs> you can't or stop tra- progress, <laughs> Or tradition. And a penny <laughs> saved is a penny earned. All of those things are true. And Bo's just shouting at scenes. <laughs> it's idiom chat with Duncan and Bo. Um, <laughs> so, oh dear. Uh, before we uh, we dive into our investigation of the X Files season eleven episode one, uh, which is entitled "My Sh- My Struggle Three. <laughs> Uh, uh, the third in a trilogy of episodes, each one more critical than the one before. <laughs> <laughs> we'll oh, get into it. So much to talk about. There's like this. This episode opens like the. It just. It, it, <laughs> we'll I, get to. We'll I get to thought it. I had forgotten how the X Files ended. I felt like I remembered pretty well. What I loved about those, Bo, that what they did was they gave you a previously on the X-Files and detailed what happened in that second episode, and then they were just like, you didn't need to actually see that at all, because it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get that. Who all does right. that? Oh, it's all right, Thank well. you, Chris Carter, for making me smile from ear to ear. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Um... <laughs> so remember this? No, you don't. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, it's it's the greatest trick Chris Carter ever pulled to yep. prove that my struggle too didn't exist. Um, yeah, Chris Carter is Kaiser Soze. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, a t-shirt that says that Chris Carter is my Kaiser Soze. Uh, just like if I ever am burned when I wake up in a hospital bed, I'll just yell, Chris Carter! Chris Carter! I want a t-shirt with the usual suspects lineup, and it's Mulder, the lone gunman, um, Lance Henriksen, Millennium, the, the, you know, the, the smoking man, and Chris Carter. And Chris Carter's doing the kind of hands all bent back. Yeah, like, the verbal so Kent. Yeah. yeah, he is verbal Kent. Yeah, that's what I want. It says, Chris Carter is my Kaiser Soze. Someone, someone make that fucking t-shirt, and then give us all the money. Darren, get on it. <laughs> let's call him by name from now on. Yeah, let's 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 call a speed a speed here, Bo. Whenever we make these references, we are directly directly sending that message to Darren Wilson, who yes. will actually go and do it. Right, so, yeah. right, because he's a mad genius, and, mm-hmm. and we, we all love him. Now get to work, Darren. Pass the peas, Darren. Darren. <laughs> Peace. Oh, what I love is the fact that we still haven't shaked off Twin Peaks. It's, it's going to be worse for us. I've been living it in the cabin, man. Yeah, it's no just, wonder. It's just been me and the peaks, as we call <laughs> it. If you've watched 
season one and two again by yourself in a cabin. That's what you call it. Yeah, it was it was Wyndham Earl's cabin as well. To to put the listeners in like and and the know like both stayed up there. Yeah, up to my tits and tarantulas. By the way, well, you know, poor Leo. Yeah, uh, he's he was good company. Yeah, <laughs> Leo Stein was he? Yeah. I mean, he was dead. Yeah, well, but, yeah, but I kind of I Wilsoned him many times over. Um, <laughs> Did he get washed out to sea? Eventually. <laughs> Leo Stein! Leo Stein! <laughs> <laughs> glug, glug, glug. <laughs> so, like I was saying, tradition on this show is that we uh, talk about a movie, uh, Good and Bad. That we have watched uh, since last we spoke. Mm-hmm. And since it's been a while. It's uh, been three weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. Well, it's, been, it's been longer than that. It's yeah. Been, it's been a month and a bit. Uh, but I have a couple of movies. But I'm always uh, curious what you have to say as well. Um, what, what about you, Duncan? What, what's been good and bad? Um, well, I checked out uh, a little movie called, and I'm going to get the name wrong, but I'm going to shorten it down to Three Billboards. Is it Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Yeah, yeah. I hear nothing but great things about that movie. It's fucking awesome. It's like, I actually think it's a perfect movie, um, which is a sentence I do not use lightly. Um, I think it is just wonderful from from every aspect. I think the acting is impeccable by every character it's what you've come to expect from the writer and director of in bruges um, it's wickedly funny um and brutally dark i mean the the, the subject matter at the center and the fact that you keep getting brought back and returning returning to it um is you know it, it's sobering at times you could hear a fucking pin drop in the cinema that um i saw and which was packed uh for its advanced screening in Scotland, but yeah, you could hear a pin drop at certain scenes, and then you know, kind of rapturous laughter, kind of waving its way throughout during during the funnier scenes. But everyone, I mean, everyone deserves awards. Um, it's just, a, yeah, it's an incredible movie. And what I've come to realise is, like Caleb Landry Jones, linking it back to Twin Peaks, seems to just appear and <laughs> seems to just do that role in pretty much everything. And I kind of think he's amazing in everything that he does. I think he's an incredible kind of character actor, even though most of his characters he plays are a bit weaselly, um, especially yeah, if like you, they if have you... emerged from a sewer somewhere. Yeah, even his character in Get Out, which is you know a bit more. I don't know, a, a bit more eccentric than some of the others, a bit more violent or volatile than some of the others. Um, I think he just brings something in his performances and he is he is he shows a completely different side uh, to his acting style or, you know, his, his acting resume um, in Three Billboards and he's a minor character and every... Sam Rockwell is fucking great. I love Sam Rockwell at the best of times. I think he's a great actor, but he is... He plays a. I, I hated him on screen, and that takes. I love that guy, and to make me hate that guy, it takes. I mean, would it have, oh, you yeah. need to. You're gonna. You are gonna love it. And this isn't me like doing the hype machine. Um, 
you're gonna love it. It's got Bo Ransdell written all over it. You're gonna fucking love it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait. It 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 almost has uh like the kind of anticipation I feel is like when you hear there's a really good Coen Brothers movie out there yeah. where mm-hmm. it's like I know this is not gonna be like what I expect, but it's gonna be great. Yeah. And anyway. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it too. Because oh yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, so that was that's probably the biggest movie I've seen. I've picked off uh, another couple of movies, um, some of which made my end of year list. Uh, the kind of tipped over into to 2018 because um, I typically start my list a bit later in order for me to kind of binge watch things that have appeared on other people's lists that I haven't seen just to see if I agree with them or not um, and one that I would highly recommend even though it's on a bit of the longer side um, is Boys in the Trees which is in it's on Netflix in the UK I believe it's on Netflix in the States as well um, and it, it's Australian and it's it's incredible. I think it's really, really, really good. I, I said in my, my show that's just dropped with my top 20 that I think that had I seen this back in October when it was released, because it's a, it a movie that's set on Halloween night, so it's the Halloween movie. Um, had I seen it then and rewatched it in December, I think it probably would have made my top 10. Um, great acting, wonderful story. It has a kind of fantasy kind of dreamlike quality about it and even though I picked up pretty quick where the movie was going uh, I got the the reveal which comes at the end uh didn't make me you know not enjoy the journey one step I, I thought it was good it's just a a really wonderful kind of heartwarming at the same time sad story about you know, kind of adolescence that way where like when you're younger you have these friendships that you think are going to be you know, other other defining moment of your life, they're going to be your friendships forever, and how you just grow apart from people, um, and the regret that comes along with that, trying to fit in, <clears throat> linking things like uh, like puberty and stuff like that to to actual kind of the supernatural world, uh, like groups of kind of fucking hormone range raged kind of teenage boys being like to like a pack of werewolves and these sort of things i think it just works really really well it helps it set like kind of late 90s when i was kind of leaving high school starting college and the soundtrack certainly uh, works into that but it's just shot beautifully it's like one of the best movies in terms of visual style that i've seen i i, I thought it was fucking great um so yeah that's that's one I would I would highly recommend. And I finally saw um, Creepy, um, which got released in the UK this year. So that's the Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, return to, to form after he did Pulse. Um, so this is him returning back to do horror. I was saying return to form. I, to be honest, the guys, I, I think it's return to genre is when people started getting all excited about it. It's a kind of standard kind of, thriller mystery not necessarily a horror movie even though it's been kind of promoted as that about um you know a criminal profiler who gets injured on the job it's got that it's got red dragon ripping out it uh, as you know injured on the job and is brought in to, to investigate one last kind of one last project now that he's teaching at the university for criminal profiling and 
he really quickly identifies that some of what he is seeing in this case is very reminiscent to his new neighbour because he just moved, him and his wife have just moved into a new neighbourhood and there are certain aspects that make him start to think that potentially his neighbour um, is, is a serial killer. And like I say, the plot's pretty predictable. However, that, that being said, some of the imagery is downright fucking disturbing in the movie. I mean, it lives up to the creepy tag for, for sure. I thought the acting was super strong. Um, and it's just great to see him coming back and doing something a bit more genre-esque because he's been often, he's been doing dramas, the, the usual thing in, in Japan where they very much like kind of 70s Italy have directors that just do fucking everything, just working directors that just jump from project to project, genre be damned. Yeah, and, and, then, and every movie is like a manga adaptation now. Yeah, and and yeah. so they're all just doing, in a lot of cases, they're like high school relationship dramas and stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy, but... Yeah, so, but I think, it, I think it's super strong. I don't think it's an amazing movie, but it's certainly, certainly worth your time. I think you should check out. And the, the very last one I'll say, I've not seen much bad, actually. Most of what I've seen has been really good. Um, last thing I'll say is Blades of the Immortal, the new Mickey movie. Oh, shit. Is fucking amazing. <laughs> His hundredth film. And he's like, motherfucker, here's how you do this. It's so fucking good. It's so... It's, it's so violent. It's epic. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. How, how that guy can still just turn it on when he needs to... Is, yeah. You know, you know, it's beyond me. And you can tell the projects he's invested in. Like, cause he does another one that does a lot of manga, and you can see there's a, enough interest in that he's making the movie, and he'll do the job. He, you know, he doesn't take his eye off the ball. He'll do the job, but you can tell the projects he's super interested in because those are the ones that get hyper violent really fucking quick, and and find a way to unsettle, disturb, entertain, and titillate all in the same scene. It's ah, so good, man, so good. Yeah, I, um. The last time I enjoyed a Miike movie this much, and it's really not that long ago, because the guy is, I don't know if you've heard this on the streets, Duncan, is basically the Scorsese of Japan. Yes, of course he is. And, uh, but uh, 13 Assassins. Which uh, reminded a, me a lot of, and it, I think 13 does. Assassins is one of his, I, I would actually say that 13 Assassins is in his top three movies for me overall. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy that he's doing some of his best work a hundred movies deep. <laughs> yeah, hundred movies in and in his sixties. Yeah, he's. I mean, Mike, and when he goes like for in in our realm, Duncan mm-hmm. uh, of uh, kind of horror podcasting and stuff like that, the things people go to with Mike are like you know audition and Ichi the Killer and you know the like. 13 Assassins doesn't enter the conversation enough. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, but that's, I, I kind of feel like when we talk about like kind of auteur horror directors, we need to not just focus on the horror movies they're doing, but we need to embrace their body of work, their entire body of work. And that's why, like, in the past, on kind of podcasts under the stairs, when I've done like directors' roundtables, I look at fucking everything, and if that means I have to sit and talk about Starman by you know John Carpenter, shut your mouth. Or I'm we're talking about Cosmopolis by Cronenberg. 
we're going to talk about the movies that move away from genre. You, you kind of have to, to get a full appreciation of the of the director. And to me, the thing that makes me most excited about Miki still out there, you know, just fucking swinging for the fences in the movies he's making is, regardless what your opinion is of his entire body of work, the guy has never slowed down. Like, at all. He is, I mean, he's been going at a rate of, well, you do the math, he's been going at a rate of about three movies a year since the mid-90s. And he's still going at that pace. And, like I say, some of the projects you can see he is he's more interested in than others. Um, but to be able to do that, when you think of all the other, like, because Mickey is a master of horror, right? He came to that, 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 category or that moniker later on in the time span of the the term master of horror um because his his master of horror starts really kicks off late 90s but when you look at what he's doing or you see 100 movies in you shouldn't like you shouldn't be able to do that all of the masters of horror you know you they reach about the 30 movie mark and that's when you can see you know, they've either already peaked or, you know, they have long since declined. Yeah, if that, that, yeah. Mickey's passed that total three times over. You know, and his his movie making, he's passed that total three times over. And I think the exciting thing about him is you might not get him, every movie is not the greatest movie ever, but I guarantee at least one of those movies every two to three years is one that I'm sitting going, the guy's still fucking got it. And I I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Yeah. De Palma and that De Palma documentary <clears throat> made a statement where he said that he basically thinks that when you turn 50, you, you know, as a director, yeah, you're going to still put things out, but your best work is long behind you at that point. You know, um, he said it himself about Hitchcock. So people all talk about Hitchcock, but look at the movies Hitchcock made after he's, you know, after he turned 50. Some of them are interesting. Yeah, for sure. But they're not as good as the movies he did when he was, you know, 30 or 40 years old. And I think Nicky bucks that trend hard. <laughs> he really, really, really does. Because he's still doing. It's such a good fucking movie. I, I, I got a very limited release over here. I got a, lucky enough to get a screener and my Blu-ray arrives next month. And I can't fucking wait to, to binge watch it three times back to back. Oh, there's a, there's a there's a director right there who deserves his own fucking slide guitar solo playing over everything. Like you know, yeah. over everything he does. It's a fucking rock star, man. Yeah, I, 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 when I watched Blade of the Immortal, it really was that sense of like, yeah, Mike just every now and again, it just decides like, oh, I'm gonna make one of the best movies ever. Yeah, <laughs> I just, so I, I, I took a break, like I rested while I directed three other movies, mm-hmm. and just let the juices build back up. <laughs> While I'm directing Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. <laughs> Which he did. And and then the next movie is going to be about an immortal swordsman. And it might as well be ACDC's Black and Black translated yeah. uh, uh, into a film. I hear you. I'm, it, I'm watching it's it. Fucking and I'm, rad. I'm watching it, and you're getting all those like the you know, you're getting all that Kurosawa sort of stuff. Coming. You're getting Zatoichi. You're getting all this stuff like condensed, but he just makes it 
so much more metal. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's an um, you know a, a blade. It's an immortal swordsman. Yeah, which Fucking... is just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and which is already awesome. And it's Mike. Again, not shying away from like, let's just get fucking bloody, y'all. Yeah. Oh, and... see when he, that's what I love about him more than anything is when Mickey decides that the you know when, uh, there's a great John Carpenter quote where he says you know when when the you know when the effects guys start opening the tubs of blood that's when you know you're having fun making a movie and I, I just don't think that Mickey opens tubs of blood it's like that's <laughs> silos right. silos of fake blood. Yeah, he's looking for the rain machine. Um, yeah, it's, and I mean, there's a, there's almost a hint of like the Nishimura stuff, like Mm -hmm. that splatter horror. It almost goes there, but it's a little classier than that. It's reserved a little bit. Yeah. Although what what I love about him is like someone gets like an arm chopped off and, uh, (laughs) someone gets like an arm chopped off in a Miki movie. It's like the end of the Evil Dead remake. (laughs) Yeah. It's (laughs) fucking amazing. Like yeah, rains blood. Oh, uh, so so good, so 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 good. What yeah. about yourself, Paul? You said you've been watching some good things, some bad things. Tell yeah. me. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you the movie that has pissed me off most recently. <laughs> is <laughs> I may have already had this conversation. I you have because the more I've thought about it, the more angrier I get. <laughs> Um, is a movie called It Stains the Sands Red. Yeah, you misquoted me as well, but I'll let you off. I I feel like you said it was okay. What I said was, like, because you said, Duncan said it's like the battery, right, which is accurate to a certain extent, but it's, it's not really what I said. I said the, the movie reminds me of a weird kind of cross between the battery and Fido was my full conversation yeah. to you. And I only heard the battery and everything shut like, down. I was so just like, oh, that, the battery is so good. Yeah, you sat down expecting <laughs> the fucking battery, and it's it's not a patch on the battery. And it's not even Fido. Fido I love as well. No, but you see why I've made those comparisons, though. I, yes, I do. I, I absolutely It's, it's a zombie movie, that, but... but it's not really a... You know what I mean? It's not really a zombie movie. There's not infestations of zombies everywhere. Yeah, I... It's I, just I, one fallen. And Fido, because there is a relationship between... Between the two, betwixt Bo, betwixt our two kind of our, our lead character and the the marauding undead that's following her, which kind of resembles a kind of Fido esque sort of element, if I can call it that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, like, you you hated that. You hated it for reasons though. Like I, I, to put people in the picture, Bo was recently in the interim since our last recording. Bo started doing. Um, on the the Legion page, uh, a live stream every Monday, and you, I, I don't know if you, do you have a fixed time for it? Is it like seven? Yeah, it's uh, six, or it's six Central, seven Eastern. Yeah, so you uh, US jump time. on there for an hour, talk about movies that you've seen, promote shows from the the network, and answer questions from listeners and stuff and stuff like that as well. And this week's one, the week of us recording, so essentially yesterday, um, you, you recorded one and in the conversations you'd start talking about the movie and you raised elements that I was just like, but I can, I can count on my hand like dozens of zombie movies that, that do exactly the things that you don't like that I know you like. So 
you know, like no, no explanation of where the zombies are coming from, no explanation why they behave the way they do, no explanation why they die when certain things happen to them. No, like there, there are loads like that that I know that you like. So, I, I, I think you, I think you went and this is my theory. I don't think it's an amazing movie. I think it's a three star movie. Like to me, what I enjoyed about it was I actually quite enjoyed the journey with the character. I know you didn't, but. I quite enjoyed the journey with the character. Um, I quite enjoyed the, like certain bits where she genuinely thought she was outsmarting a fucking dead person, and the dead person outsmarted her. Quite liked those elements. Um, but I think you went in because you heard me say battery, and you were expecting <clears throat> a very high level of storytelling, character arc, um, etc. Because and- of what well, I mean. Again, I'm not blaming you for this. I'm blaming the movie for for posing as that kind of movie and then not being that kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the setup at the start really does make you think it's going to be a bit a bit better written than it actually is. And it devolves very, very quickly to a very kind of base level horror movie. And it never really, it, I mean, it tries to elevate itself out of that maybe one or two times. And when it feels like it's getting a bit of traction where it's like, all oh, right, she's going to, it's just a military thing and she's going to take down the bit and it never really amounts to anything. And then, oh, she's going to go back and get her kid in it. It kind of amounts to something, but nothing great. Um, but what I, I just as a whole, I, I, I found it, I found it entertaining. Uh, to, to me, it was a, you know, a, a decent three-star movie. It, it was a zombie movie that gave me something which was a bit different from the majority of zombie movies that I've seen in the last two, three years. It, it did something, did it do it great? No, but, I'm a, I'm a very much like yourself. Movies that tend to stick with me or movies that I tend to want to recommend to people are movies that do something just a little bit different from the norm or try and, try and tell a story which is a little bit different or try and go in a direction which feels maybe fresh. It might not succeed. Um, and the movie, I, like I say, I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a decent movie. Um, but that was the only reason I raised it. And in the conversation, it was like I'd said to you, if there is one movie you see this year, Borans, though, make it. The, the, yeah, well, what you say and what I hear are not always the same thing. I acknowledge <laughs> that, and it's about time you did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I didn't disagree with everything you said. Um, there was just certain bits where you were being a bit harsh with the nitpick, uh, nitpickiness. Well, it. That I, I was like, there are there are movies that I know for a fact. Like, I, I loved We Go On. We Go On is not a great acted movie. There's I, a couple I, of good I, actors I, in yes. it, but it's not a great acted movie throughout the thing. It made your top ten, so... But I think it's a much better written movie. It is, and, a, bit, it is a better written movie. I don't and and I will say that I can overlook... Like, the, the problem with It Stains the Sands Red for me is it's Death by a Thousand Cuts. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's not that any one of these things is a, a you know a mortal sin it's for just the film. many of them it's Took just it, it, yeah. right just from scene to scene like every scene has like two things that bother me yeah and by the end of it i'm just like i don't understand what's happening anymore like i don't understand how this character has become <laughs> a, a maternal superhero at the end of this movie <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, you're not it a big fan of slasher movies me either. And slasher movies have desensitized me to what a little bit of trauma will do to a kind of central female character and how they essentially become superhuman by the end of the movie. Right. So. Yeah. <clears throat> it, uh, I and 
Anyway, I, I like I, I don't want to keep Duncan on this movie because I could do it all day. I can't help but um, know she mentioned the name Duncan there, but that's okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, basketball Duncan, not mm. not donut Duncan. Yeah, because um, <laughs> that's the donut. only two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only two I'm aware of. Um, the <laughs> hey the uh, the the movie I want to talk to you about though. Uh, actually, there are two movies I want to talk to you about, but I'll, I'll save one for another time because uh, it, it, I I think both of these might be substantial conversation oh um i want to talk to you about the black coat's daughter ah yeah uh, yeah because you're which... you're much later to the party than us over in the uk because we got this movie a whole year ago <clears throat> so i made it... my it made my top 10 it was actually like about i, I want to say it was like four on my top 10 list in 2016 so because it got released in netflix under the title february um in 2016, and for some reason, America had to wait like another year before you got it. I don't understand that. Because we didn't deserve it, Duncan. Um, <laughs> so fucking good, though. We had, so good. We had elected a chimpanzee president, and well, they were like, "Well, you don't get the black coat's daughter." Well, I, and I was like, "Shit!" Well, I loved about because um, I read your top ten because uh, you posted it on the, the Legion podcast page, and what I loved about it is the fact that it took you two attempts to get through it. Yeah, well, I, just because I wasn't in the mood for something lyrical, you know, like I, I, I was kind of in the mood for something a little rocking, mm-hmm. and uh, and the first twenty ish minutes, twenty thirty minutes of the Black Coat's Daughter is very subdued. Yeah, and 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 it, you know, it's setting the mood and the scene and the characters and all that stuff. But I had also seen Oz Perkins. I am the pretty thing that lives alone in the house, which is decent. It's not. It's not. It's amazing, good, but it's not. It's, it's not an amazing movie, but it's not a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. Well, right, it's a good movie, but it's like reading, uh, like a Dickens ghost story or yes. something, mm-hmm. you know. And I appreciate that, and I enjoy that. Um, but it's it's not what I was in the mood for, and that's and and the setup of the Black Coat's daughter leans into my impression of it Mm -hmm. and and so finally i was like man this movie is just getting so much attention i need to watch it uh and and so i i restarted the movie and and got through the beginning again ready to fall asleep at any time (laughs) and because I have the same problem with I'm the pretty thing that lives alone in the house. It, uh, it took me a couple of attempts to get through that one. There's like, you know, I curled up in the recliner and, you know. The missus decided she wanted her tea at 11 instead of 10. It was a queer day. And so... <laughs> I don't think that happens in that movie. But... Then it turns out that the Black Coat's Daughter is this fucking metal movie about possession. Yep. And by the end of it, it's like, oh, this movie fucking rocks. I, like, I was really, uh, I was excited by it. I thought it was, all right, so the last time I saw a possession movie that was like a legitimate movie and not, you know, the Ouija Exorcism <laughs> 3 or something. <laughs> Which I may have seen. I don't know. I'm just making. I'm stringing words together now, Duncan. I don't Someone's know listening at your door just now, saying we need to make that movie. <laughs> right. The 
Rand's still will watch it at least. We've got one more. We'll <laughs> talk about it on his podcast. It's free publicity because he watches bad movies. So uh, yeah, right. Like, just put it on Netflix. He'll watch it. Um, but uh, like the last legitimate movie I'd seen, I I think was uh, Conjuring. Oh yeah, uh, doing like a legit possession kind of movie, mm-hmm. and um, and I didn't like that. Oh, we, yeah. we, we, it's, it's well documented how much you loved that movie and how much you didn't think it was like an advertisement for the church at all. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I just thought it was a dopey possession scene, and and I think they're hard to do. In fairness, like I, I think the Exorcist TV show does a pretty good job with some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, from- we've talked about this before. When when your template for how to do that in a movie is The Exorcist, which is, like, arguably the greatest horror movie ever made. It's a right. tough sell. <laughs> I mean, it's a, t- it's a tough sell to try and do what that movie did or try and keep right. spin on something that that movie did and make it not, one, be compared, and two, not be shit. Right. And and so Black Hood's Daughter, uh, kind of spoilers that it's about possession, but still... Uh, fuck you watch that movie yes and uh but like the possession stuff it does is real cool mm-hmm. and and it, it and it's fairly subdued you know it's not it's not full-on exorcist crazy but it's you know it's it's effective mm-hmm. and it also just sticks the landing in a way that is yeah. super impressive yeah to me what one of the biggest things that really kind of and without even talking about story or whatever is how fucking good emma roberts is in it as yeah an actress, and i don't really been, care for her yeah as an actress she's been very effective at pigeonholing herself as the kind of bitch sorority sort of girl if you watch things like american horror story coven or follow her through to scream queens or even if you watch something like scream four she is kind of well established as playing that sort of character and to see her <clears throat> come into a movie with with a lot more depth and that's not a slight on her she is playing particular characters I think she's great at what she does on the TV show you know the American Horror Story or whatever I think she plays those roles really well but I, I always got this impression that it wasn't much of a stretch for her to play those characters or maybe she's quite like that in real life and that's why she kept getting those roles um, I think she is Super fucking amazing in the, well, February is what I call it, but the Black Coast Star. I think she's brilliant. And I think a lot of that comes down to how reserved she is as an actress in the role. Um, yeah, I, she plays it very close to the vest, as, yeah. as her character calls for. And Yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. I, I, yeah, I, I, I loved the movie then. And, you know, it frustrated me that you guys weren't getting it. Um, and then it frustrated me that when it finally did get an American release, no one was fucking watching it. Um, and what has been the kind of the diamond in the rough for me, so to speak, is the fact that it's made so many end of year lists in the states because it deserves to be there. You know, to me, as I had it been in contention this year, it would have been in my top five. I think it's a fucking great movie. Um, and it's it's so unassuming as well. That's what I love about it. It's like you see that those first twenty minutes really belie uh, an incredible story um, and just this really captivating journey which you go on as a viewer when you get past 
a lot of the it is a slow burn and it does set things up in a, a, a kind of way. But when things kick off, by God, do they kick off? <laughs> yeah, the the last and uh, the the other thing that I really admire about this movie is the way that Oz Perkins puts you in the scene like the scenes with Emma Roberts and like James Remar and his wife, mm-hmm. where you feel the threat of them that maybe they're not what they seem exactly. Yeah. And, and then find that those tables turn in a really satisfying way. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's a remarkable horror film. Yeah. Um, and you know, once again, this year, like the one before, uh, 2017 and 2016, both have been, just an embarrassment of riches. I think you know? 2017 was better than 2016. And I was I was looking at my list yeah. and there are, I think maybe my top five from last year is a stronger top five than this year. But creating a top 20 list for me, like I, I, I watched 78 new horror movies in 2017 and my short list for contention of top 20 was just shy of 35 and I struggled I mean, I really struggled to shortlist that 35 down to a list of 20 that I was happy with. And even though I had my top five locked in pretty comfortable, everything about that, and even my top five, I felt at times could have been interchangeable. Like in any other year, Raw being number one for me, I would have been happy with that. You know what I mean? Or the or the lure being number one for me, I would have been happy with that as well. Um, any other year, you know, I, I could have made those cases. But yeah, I just think that... the just the general quality of horror movies is exponentially risen in the last two, three years, which makes me so excited for this year because I don't know if you heard of this little movie called It. It did like 660 million at the box office. So every studio and their mother will be releasing a studio, a big studio horror movie in the next two years. It's it's, it's going to happen now. And we are in this really cool position in that, we're going to get the best of both worlds. I don't think half of them are going to be all that good. But if there's one big budget horror movie in there, I'm going to be a happy camper because we went through about a good like six, seven years of no really good big budget horror movies coming to the cinema um, at all. Like You would be lucky if you got one every two years. And now we're getting we non-franchise. If you exclude things like Paranormal Activity as a franchise or Saw as a franchise, we weren't getting them. And we're we're going to get loads of them. And I think the thing that makes me really excited is that whilst all that's going along, the indie market is just going to keep growing as well. And we're going to get loads of these little indie horror movies. Companies like Blumhouse are going to keep churning out what they're doing. And to be honest, like to me, Blumhouse stole last year. Um, I think, I, I don't think they put out a horror movie last year that I disliked at all. I think I liked every single one of them. Um, so yeah, we're, 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 this to me is the golden, this is the more modern golden age of horror. And I think it reminds me of like the fact that we've got Happy Death Day, which I, I'm so glad that you watched. I'm so glad that you liked it, man. I really oh, I loved it. I thought it was just a delight. It's just perfect. You know, it's just a perfect, perfect tone for a movie like that. And, but, 
and I, I'll I said it then. I'll say it again. Uh, what's her name? Jessica Roth, Rothy yeah. from that film is like she ought to be a star. Like she absolutely carries that movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Like the, the journey that we go on, and the greatest, the greatest um, kind of tagline that I heard because everyone was saying it's like Groundhog Day meets Scream. That was what was going around. And Mark Kermode, the great um, reviewer over in the UK, dubbed it Groundhog Slay. Um, which I thought was just like fucking great. I was like, that's that's kind of what it is. It's a slayer, you know, a slasher movie. Sorry, um, set around you know it's Groundhog Day premise. And I, I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't. I mean, the fact that they even reference Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day, right at the very end of the movie, I'm like that. You know, the filmmakers winking and you know nudging you and basically saying, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, right? We we know what we did. Yeah, we know we, we know what we did. We're happy and we, we hope that you're happy as well. And I, I love the fact that yeah, it did. It did shit loads of money, and you know they've been greenlit to make a sequel. Even if the sequel shit, I don't care. I just love the fact that the movie did as well as it did. Um, but the fact that we get a movie like that, and it, you know, a movie like that, which I think three, four years ago would have flopped at the cinema, did so well this year. Off the back of, and it's worth saying, it's off the back of the success of it. People were like, oh, like, oh well, I went to the cinema, saw it. It was a horror movie. I'm going to go and see another horror movie. I'll go and see this one. It looks like hard. Um, and you know, they all go off and and check that movie. And it did, it did really good business. But to me, this this is like I'm getting like almost Nam flashbacks to 1996 when Scream came out. And Scream came out at the yeah. cinema, and all these people that didn't go and fucking see horror went to see it. And was like. Oh, oh right, I quite like this. And then the next two, three years, we right, we got a lot of Scream clones, but I think we're going to get a lot of It clones. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that people are, and I'm not a purist. I'm not one of these guys. Is like horrors, you know? It's not supposed to be for like the the times that horror really gets interesting for me are the times when there is a lot of money to play and a lot of people that have talent have access to that money to play with. And I think we're. I think the talent pool just now of horror directors is pretty, pretty fucking good. And not only that, the avenues in which you can release them. So I think people like Mike Flanagan doing the Netflix thing for Hush and for Gerald's Game. You know the fact that they're going in that direction. The fact that you'd get like a a Black Coat's Daughter going straight to Netflix as opposed to physical releases. You know, you, we have these avenues as well, and Netflix and Amazon are both financing. I mean, Amazon are putting out the Suspiria remake this year. So, you know, the, the fact that they're all, we have all these different avenues to consume horror, and all these really talented people that are now in a position where they don't just have to try and sell it to Universal or Warner Brothers. And if either one of them snub them out, well, fuck you, you're going to make a small indie move that's going to have no chance of getting anywhere. The fact that they can then go to Hulu or, you know, an Amazon or a Netflix to get financing. How can you not be excited to be a horror fan coming off the back of 2017? I think it's... I genuinely think 2018 is going to be the same. I think it's going to be, like, you call it that embarrassment of riches. I think it is. But there's a certain level that we're going to get to maybe three or four years in that is just going to become the norm. And when things start turning shitty, I think that's when people will actually realise how good we've had it. Because I think there's still a lot of people complacent. I heard people say, you know, Mother was the worst movie of 2017. And I don't understand how anyone can say that. You've not watched enough movies, if that's what you think. 
Like Mother to me is the perfect like, Mother. Like I've been thinking about this all week, and this is why you need to watch Mother, Bo, because I, I think you're going to dig it, right? I do think you're going to dig it. I think Mother is an accidental representation of what 2017 was. I think Aronofsky made it ahead of the year, and it sums up the year perfectly. It's every every large scandal, every political catastrophe, every you know social march. Everything like that is in that movie. It covers everything. It's 2017. If I, someone said to me, you only had one movie to represent what 2017 was like, um, as much as I think Get Out is the best movie of the year, uh, there's no way I wouldn't say that Mother is wholly representative. I saw that in the cinema and I come out feeling like I'd been in the, f- the fucking frontline trenches in World War One. I'd done cut and been asked. <laughs> Honestly, man, I'd, I'd like that's what I came out for. I came out shell shocked and numb. Um, and All right, I'll I'll watch it in the next forty eight hours. You need to, man, and we need to. Have, you need to message me as soon as you have, because it is. And then once you finish watching it, think to yourself: Paramount put out this picture. A major studio put this movie out, right? Yeah. I, on a, on the back of it, and they didn't just put it in one or two cinemas. Full cinema run, massive ad campaign. Mm-hmm. I remember the ads for it well. <laughs> the you you will remember where you were the first time motherfucking landed on your face. I'll never in for- this. I'll theater. never forget. They're, they were one hundred percent right. I will never forget where I was when I watched Mother for the first time. All right, all right. Tell, <laughs> talk about fucking right. You're okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll 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 give it a day in court. It's, um, it's, it's about it's about an hour and a half of Aronofsky just teabagging you. <laughs> is it only ninety minutes? I think it is. I don't think it's really. I don't think it's all that long. I might be wrong. Okay. I, I think it's if at the most it's maybe an hour and three quarters. It is not a two-hour movie, and trust me, you will feel like you you've watched the movie for a year. <laughs> <laughs> well that's maybe not selling no, like, it no um, like you come out and just uh, yeah. two hours and one minute sir two hours and one minute well there you go I thought it was an hour and a half so then okay. that, say, that to me right, says a right. lot about how it just and it just doesn't give up <laughs> there's no there's no respite at all there's no respite at all in that movie from the moment like things kick off about maybe 15-20 minutes into the movie to the end it's just like Ah, it's just like it's Aronofsky screaming in your face to the end, and I kind of fucking love it. All right, I and I do want to underscore what you said because you said it well, which is this is there is a perfect meeting of hey, studios are going to spend money on horror films, Mm -hmm. and a an absolute bumper crop of young horror directors. Like like Mike Flanagan, yep. I would throw Mike Doherty oh, in that definitely. list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know Oz Perkins. Let's not count out Larry Fessenden, who's yeah. been around for a while. Jordan Peele. <laughs> Jordan Peele, no doubt. Uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Stakeland? Oh, Jane, Jim. Uh, yeah, Jim Mickle. Jim Mickle. Yeah, uh, like folks like that. Who, if you give them a little bit more of a budget. Let's see what they can do. Yeah, we're, we're gonna and... we're gonna reap the rewards so much. I think how hard it was to make my list this year is going to be doubly hard 
Well, sorry, last year was going to be doubly hard this year, and I, and I can't wait. <laughs> That's not a complaint. Yeah. Oh, it's me. I've seen so many great movies this year. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I I am genuinely looking forward to this new halloween movie i can't i'm curious I, what that's gonna look like you know it's the writing partnership behind vice principles which i watched that second series and that could be one of the greatest comedy shows it's ever amazing, fucking made yeah ever made like someone and i don't think and they're not going into this making a comedy no. like they seem to be fans of the original who want to do justice to what made halloween scary yeah and anyone that says that comedians can't write fucking horror movies john landis like for a start but jordan peele is a modern example look at fucking key and peele right and look at that and then and then look at get out and you know to me that's i think they say that the two hardest genres to conquer are two hardest like genres of movies to to get right are horror and comedy and there's a reason behind that because of the reactions they get from the audience or how much the audience, they demand the audience invest in the movie. Um, and yeah, like Danny McBride saying to me, you know, we're, we're taking this back and we're going to do this. And all that. I'm like, yeah, do it. Do it and find a way to get Wal- Walton Goggins in your movie because he's fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. So good. So good. Uh, all right. All right, listeners. How you like that for an opening? Boom. <laughs> fucking laying it out uh <laughs> promoting the show in the middle of the show probably not the best the best way to go about it um <laughs> you're paying for the whole seat but you'll only need the edge um <laughs> all right let's get into this shit duncan mm. We are here to uh, examine The X-Files Season 11. Mm-hmm. Um, before we jump into My Struggle 3. <laughs> Trolls off the tongue, that tale. Uh, which is uh, Episode 1, Season yeah. 11. Let's do a quick recap via the Wikipedias <laughs> of My Struggle and My Struggle. More importantly, Duncan, My Struggle 2. Yes, um all right so here's here's, my struggle and your struggle too also my struggle too as well yeah uh okay so we're gonna do this pretty quick so uh according to wikipedia my struggle uh episode uh, episode one of season 10 this is how they bring back the Mm x-files the episode opens with a monologue by fox Mulder detailing alien-related events in history leading up to his partnership with Dana Scully and their investigations into the X-Files. The subsequent scene takes place in 1947 when an unnamed doctor is escorted by a man in black via bus to the site of a crashed spacecraft in the New Mexico desert. After viewing the wreck in amazement, the doctor finds a trail of blood leading, leading to a wounded being, ostensibly an alien, crawling away from the scene. Despite the doctor's pleas, soldiers shoot and kill the alien. Moving to the present day, 14 years after the closure of the X-Files, Mulder is contacted by Scully at the behest of FBI Assistant Director Walter Skinner, who wants him to meet a right-wing online webcaster named Tad O'Malley. Remember him? That's... Anyway. Mulder and Scully reunite in Washington, D.C., where they're picked up by O'Malley in his limo and driven to a remote farmhouse in Virginia. Inside, they meet a young woman named Sveta, who claims to have fragmented memories of her having her fetuses stolen... 
uh, from her during alien abductions, like you do, and to possess alien DNA, which Scully agrees to examine. O'Malley uh, then takes Mulder to a secret location where a triangular aircraft built from alien technology is being housed. The craft is referred to as an ARV, or alien replica vehicle. During her medical examination, Sveta makes several astute observations which allude to Scully's strained relationship with Mulder, making Scully uncomfortable. When the test results on Sveta's blood come back, Scully immediately orders the sample retested. Meanwhile, Mulder meets with the now-aged doctor from the New Mexico crash site, a man he has known for 10 years. Mulder offers the doctor a new theory based on the ARV, Sveta's memories and past hints from the doctor. Mulder now believes that colonization and the alien invasion were all an elaborate hoax to distract. Instead, Mulder thinks it was a, quote, conspiracy of men who have used extraterrestrial technology on human parties for decades, and these events were subsequently made to look like alien abductions. Mulder outlines a global conspiracy <laughs> involving the hoarding and testing of alien technology, which will be utilized at some point to stage an attack on America and eventually take over the world. The doctor refers to Mulder's previous belief in colonization as, quote, nonsense, and says that Mulder is now close to the truth, but refuses to disclose the purpose behind the abductions and the tests on human subjects. Following these revelations, Mulder shares his theory with Scully that the conspiracy is a group of uber-violent ultra-fascists armed with alien technology attempting to subvert democracy and assume power of the world. Before O'Malley can go public with his claims, his website is shut down, the ARV craft and its scientists are destroyed by heavily armed men dressed in military uniforms, and a UFO intercepts Sveta while she is driving, destroying her car. Mulder and Scully meet in a dark parking garage, and Scully reveals that Sveta's retested DNA sample confirms that she does, in fact, possess extraterrestrial DNA. A test Scully has performed on herself has revealed that she does as well. Mulder states that Sveta is the key to exposing the conspiracy and those responsible. They then receive an urgent summons from Skinner requesting them to meet him. The episode ends revealing the cigarette-smoking man alive in the present day, receiving word via telephone that the X-Files have been reopened. Ha! <laughs> so that was the beginning of the new mythology. Yes, this is the reset button. So. so now, Duncan, <laughs> we move to the especially critical uh, My Struggle 2, which was the final episode of season 10. Mm -hmm. So we bookended My, season, uh, My Struggle 1, opens the season, My Struggle 2, closes the season in a way to build the mythology and 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 provide more questions uh <laughs> that's that that it did <laughs> yes okay so the plot six weeks after the events of my struggle scully arrives at fbi headquarters to find that Mulder has disappeared after watching an excerpt from tad o'malley's online news broadcast which had been revived as Scully informs Skinner and Einstein uh, of Mulder's absence, and Einstein's one of them uh, doppel, uh, <laughs> doppel Mulder uh, uh, Scully people, Mulder attempts to leave Washington visibly unwell and badly bruised. Back in Washington, Scully receives a phone call from O'Malley, who has arrived at Mulder's house for a prearranged meeting and found signs of a struggle. 
O'Malley explains that he suspects that alien DNA has been injected into every American citizen in order to facilitate the widespread outbreak of the Spartan virus. Mm -hmm. Designed to strip humans of their immune systems, this contagion quickly manifests itself nationwide with Scully and Einstein noting a sharp increase in the number of patients admitted to hospitals and triage centers. Miller finds a uh, phone tracking app on Mulder's computer, notes his position in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and leaves Washington in order to track him down. While Einstein questions Scully's medical theories, uh, Scully, accepting that Einstein may be correct, receives a phone call from former X-Files agent Monica Reyes, mm -hmm. who asks to meet, claiming that she knows how to develop a vaccine. During their meeting... Ray's reveals that shortly after the closure of the X-Files, she was contacted by the badly injured cigarette smoking man who had survived the confrontation in New Mexico. The cigarette smoking man offers to secure both Scully and Ray's uh, a place among the designated survivors of the end times in exchange for Ray's assistance in the colonization effort. Ray's departs the FBI shortly thereafter in his absent when Scully, quote, looks her up in 2015. Reyes has also reveals that she has spent the past 12 years assisting the cigarette smoking man, but intending to halt the invasion from within the syndicate. So Scully and Einstein attempt to develop a vaccine using Scully's DNA, and she realizes that she is being uh, protected from the contagion by a combination of the alien genomes that remained after she was abducted and experimented on, and the DNA anomalies instilled within her at the request of Reyes. Huh. It is the absence of alien DNA <laughs> that makes everyone else susceptible to the Spartan virus. Mulder, meanwhile, approaches the cigarette smoking man who offers him a chance to survive the outbreak. Mulder says, go fuck yourself, and is found by Miller, who returns him to Washington with the hope of finding a cure uh, for the virus. So O'Malley tells the nation that a friend, a doctor, has informed him of the existence of a vaccine. So after they administer the vaccine to Einstein, uh, Scully travels to Mulder and Miller's location, finding them at the 14th Street Bridge. She realizes that Mulder is too badly ill to survive without a stem cell transplant. When Miller asks how this will be possible, Scully replies that William, their son, will have to be the donor. While Scully and Miller discuss Mulder's prognosis, Mulder, uh, Mulder begins to succumb to the virus Suddenly, a beam of light shines down onto Miller, Scully, and Mulder, and a triangle-shaped UFO slowly descends and hovers above them. The episode ends with, uh, with Scully looking into the lights of the spacecraft, shining down directly onto her and her partners. Seems, that seems hugely important, though. Like, we need to pick right up from that moment and find out what happens right after a whole bridge full of many, many civilians witness a UFO. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and also you're dealing with the, a global outbreak. Mm -hmm. Everyone's about to die. This is like, this is like the fucking season finale of millennium season two. And what I love about the, kickoff here of My Struggle 3 and uh, Millennium Season 3 episode number 1 as they both do exactly the same thing pretend like the previous episode never happened 
It's a real fuck you. Of course um, it is. Of course it is. It almost feels like Chris Carter deliberately did it that way to make sure that everyone was like, oh, we need to know what the rest of the story is, just so he could get another season greenlit. And when, it, when that sweet, sweet money came in, he's like that, nah, <laughs> I don't think so. Let's, let's instead give you some sort of really weird... Well, this this episode should have been called My Struggle 3, hashtag retcon to fuck. Right. Uh, <laughs> the the re-beginning. The, the, the re-thing-ending. <laughs> it's, all right. So this episode is narrated kind of in conjunction uh, by the cigarette-smoking man who opens the show mm-hmm. and Fox Mulder. Yeah. And uh, it opens with the cigarette-smoking man delivering this monologue about how everyone is distracted from the real problems uh, by all these petty uh, struggles as we see a montage of Trump and Putin and Reagan and Clinton and, like, just all this shit of, like, this is the thing that has been... Uh, uh, occupying everyone's attention while we did other shit mm-hmm. um, it is the essential gist of the whole thing. Um, and you know, it's it's all right. Like you know, Chris Carter is enjoying himself writing here. Uh, yeah, I I I kind of felt. I'm not gonna lie. See when they they did the oh the moon landing was fake. I'm like, well, <laughs> all right. But at at this point though, <laughs> we don't know that the other thing didn't happen. Yes, th- this is true. This is true. They've um, they they haven't told us that yet. But the fact that we see that though. I'm like the thing I used to love about the X Files is it always used to skirt around some conspiracy theories, but would also, it would never just be like, oh, you know, uh, 9-11 was an inside job. You know, it would never do that, right? It would it would, it would, would give you something which was kind of, would make you think that without necessarily doing it. Uh, and the last season, they did the whole 9-11 as an inside job thing, pretty much. Um, and this season, they're like, the, one of the first clips we get, and it is a great clip, let's be honest here. To me, when you have the X-Files, you need Mulder, you need Scully, you need A.D. Skinner, and you need the Smoking Man. Those are your four characters you need. If you don't have those four characters, and not really the X-Files. You know, those are the four, I agree. The four yep. principal characters here. So the fact that we kick off the new season with the Smoking Man giving you an alternative history which flies in the face of the two alternative Histories we already have for the Smoking Man. Um, for for those that might not remember, the Smoking Man gave up all this stuff to be a writer, and you know that failed, and then he returned back to the agency. Not in this, not in this season. In this season, he's been secretly secretly developing a counter operation in the Nevada desert for decades. And I'm like, really, really, because that the timeline. But right, whatever, Chris Carter, we're going to run with it. It's your show. I can I can handle it, but and 
I do like the fact that they groomed it with modern things. I do like the fact that, like, well, look, you've got Trump, and look, you've got Kim Jong Un, and look, look at all this stuff that's happening just now. And these are the, these are the faces that I have put in power, but they are not the power. I am the power. I love that idea yeah. because that, to be honest, is still a lot of people think. A lot of people still think maybe not this year that um, the president is a figurehead. You know, he's a puppet. I mean, you don't have the real power. There's no real power there. The real power there are men in suits and rooms that are smoky. Um, so I kind of love the fact that they're still kind of, you know, that regardless of what you think, that there's there's a secret organization. Let's just call them the syndicate, Bo, just for... for- right. <laughs> well, it, for lack of a better, yes. Yep. And, and that's what they have been referred to. Yep. It's what uh, they call himself in this episode. Uh, is he the syndicate? We're going to get into this, but not convinced he's actually in the syndicate. But um, so, like, we have all this stuff, right? And the pentavenet. <laughs> you mean <laughs> we're 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 uh, we're kind of we're we're going out our way to retcon things in the XFL universe right from the start here. That monologue is basically once again very similar to the monologue we got from Mulder at the start of season ten. Is Right, let's let's tell you where we are now. And you might think you know some things, and yes, some of those things are true, but a lot of what you have watched in the previous 10 seasons doesn't really matter anymore. This is where we are now. The timeline for when the aliens were going to come didn't matter because it didn't come. It's because we changed it. Because obviously we changed it. Um, you know, the... the like a lot of stuff with the, the Scully thing has changed. The aliens' motives have now completely changed again. We've changed. We started changing them in the previous season. We're now fully committed. We've got another season out of this, so now we're going to work with this. And I believe, from what I got from this episode, and we're going to get into the various elements, we are going to have two central stories, and us as the audience, along with Mulder and Scully, are going to have to think. Who's right and who's wrong? Who's good and who's bad? Is there such a thing as good or bad? One of these one of these power players is lying. And which one is it? And that, in principle, has me excited. Because I like a good mystery. And I'm hoping that that's what they do with it. Uh, what the Although they kind of, uh, I mean, we'll get into it, but they tip their hand on a lot of stuff pretty quick. But I do know. they? This is what I'm thinking, but... Do they? Because what you get is knowing how unreliable the X Files is at actually necessarily sticking to what characters say in episodes. Do they? Is like is the smoking man the right? We'll get into it, but is his motives what he says his motives are in front of Reyes, or is he actually just using Reyes and saying certain things to control her through fear? Because there is a I, there is a promise for yeah. her off the back of that, which has demanded her her loyalty to an extent. It is not, in my opinion, past the smoking man to say that to have her be loyal to him, while not necessarily. I'm not saying he's the good guy here, Bo. I'm just saying that if I was the writer of this show, I would maybe set things up to make him look like he's the villain because he has been all the way through and uh, I would maybe twist things. So maybe so, but also I, uh, there is a high risk in that. Oh yes. Of that feeling cheap. 
basically this episode starts by claiming that the previous episode we saw never happened and it was a dream. So I'm not I, saying that it's, yes. it's not it's not beneath the show to do that, Paul. I know, I know. All right, but all right. So the the whole Smoky Man montage thing ends with him on the set of the moon landing being filmed. Yeah. And then we cut to the flashing light and, and Scully. Yep. And it's like, fucking, hey, let's get to the bridge. What is going on? Are they going to get sucked up <laughs> into a UFO? And then it's her on the floor of the FBI with uh, Skinner and Mulder being like, the fuck? Mm-hmm. And she was just like, oh. And, you know, <laughs> passed Chen? out. Yeah, she, oh. she Joan Chen. <laughs> yeah, she Joan Chen. <laughs> oh, mother. And then was over. And so they bring in a stretcher. And they're like, we got to get her to the hospital. And and so they do. And uh, they're talking to the doctor. And the doctor says, hey, um, she's got uh, uh, what we call uh, we don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> Um, cause it's, it, she has these pulses, mm-hmm. uh, in her brain and, uh, Skinner is like looking at the, the readout, you know, they're, they're like doing an MRI or something in real time. And he's like, Hey, uh, I think this is Morse code, which is kind of rad. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's spelling out the words "find him." Wonder who? And, <laughs> right. And uh, Mulder's like, they're anyway, the truth. I've been trying to find the truth forever. It's out there. And also, is it a him? Yeah, the truth is, is the a truth he? a him? How sexist of you, Scully? <laughs> right. I I'm I'm horrified. I had a child with her. <laughs> it's like I bet you this truth gets paid more than a woman. Equal peeves, sisters. Uh huh. Hashtag Mulder too. <laughs> um. <laughs> and all right, and in one of the uh, the other things that I think is a milder form of retcon, but a retcon nonetheless. Well, there's a lot of them in this episode. So tell me, what's the milder? Is after they're like, "Hey, we got this message. Find him." And Mulder is like, uh, well, uh, fuck that. I'm staying here. I'm going to be right by Scully. Mm-hmm. And Skinner's like, um, you are the guy that gets crazy ideas and then runs off and investigates. And her brain is sending out a message, find him, and you're not going to do that? <laughs> and he's like, fucking A, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be here in this hospital chair. How about that? <laughs> And 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 that's kind of like the opening of the show is, you know, Mulder refusing to do any kind of X file stuff. <laughs> he's all se- he's all <laughs> seasons in there, but let's let's cut the. It wants a seat. And and so then we cut to Mulder not doing X file stuff and just hanging out in a hospital chair with Scully, and uh, he's doing his own monologues. And 
fact that Scully comes out, <laughs> comes out of coma, it's like that. You're not going to go off and do X-Files stuff? And he's like, no, I'm sitting here for yeah. you. He's like, you really should go off and do some X-Files stuff. Right, everybody <laughs> is trying to convince Mulder this entire episode to do his fucking job. <laughs> Uh, oh. so, <laughs> I haven't even thought of that. But you're right. Like she wait, like she has this vision of some stuff that happened in the episode that didn't happen. Yep. And she wakes up, and but immediately she's like, "Mulder, the fuck are you doing here?" <laughs> I was like, "Brain pulsing at you." <laughs> Maybe he can't read Morse code, but I was like, "Find him." Yeah, like, did you have Skinner with you? I know he knows Morse code, and he's like, oh, he was totally right there and said, find him is what it said. And you're here? He was like that to me. Do you not have, like, a like an X-Files thing to do? And I was like, no, I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> yeah, I just decided, fuck it. I was having a me day. <laughs> I was having a me day. <laughs> he's got his sweatpants on. <laughs> right, right. He's like, you know, a pint of hogging does. <laughs> Watching Maury. Oh, you're up. <laughs> don't, don't, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? What are you doing here? Dr. Phil says that every now and again you have to look after yourself. Take some of you time. Right. If I, yeah, if, if I'm not happy with me, how can I be happy with exactly. you? See. Doctor Phil is a smart, smart man, uh, but like all the all the all the Mulder monologues are like right out of a, like a kind of like a forties noir film. Not even that it's man. So it cheesy. is a, it's so it is cheesy. a college creative writing yep. major <laughs> trying to sound like ominous and and introspective i believe in a time when the truth existed but it never really existed it was always too far away from me but i reached for it but then i realized it was too far away i thought i understood my mission but i didn't i was part of the x-files but i wasn't so instead i will sit here and look at this monitor wondering when my partner will wake up (laughs) it slams the brakes on this episode so many times every time he comes on this episode slows to a halt which is ironic because there is a whole 20 minutes of him in a car the slowest car chase in the history man that that results in nothing all right right, right, we'll get there which results in nothing is the most pointless car chase ever all right so the only thing i can equate it to if you did not watch this episode gentle listeners is the scene in Superman the movie where Margot Kidder does the can you read my mind thing. <laughs> it is that kind of jaw-dropping, like, the fuck is this? <laughs> this is the movie I thought and, I was watching. <laughs> right. And so Scully wakes up and is like, hey, here's uh you don't remember the last episode of last season, so let me tell it to you. You didn't dream it in a fever dream. I did. However, what happens yeah. is you need to do things or you're going to die. And one of those things is find the smoking man because the whole world is going to die because we're all infected with alien DNA, which is ultimately going to destroy our immune system. And then this pathogen is going to be released and it's going to wipe us all out. And I'll tell you who's really important in this, our son William, who we need to track down. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Fox is like, maybe (laughs) well but he's like again this seems so out of character for him but he's like you know i know you think you you believe that (laughs) 
And she's like, are you fucking mansplaining visions to me? <laughs> Wait a second. Mr. I want to believe poster on the wall right, is going to say that you don't believe Right. <laughs> oh, they're there, honey. <laughs> yeah. You had your, you swooned. <laughs> and now, and she's like, the smoke, the cigarette smoky man's alive. He's like, oh, peaches. <laughs> and she's like, no, goddammit. He is alive and he's in Spartanburg, South Carolina. <laughs> From where he will unleash hell, she says. Yeah. And and he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to go downstairs and see if they have stuffed animals. Does Putin want a little bowl of jello? Right. And she's like, no, you got, God, motherfucker Mulder, will you please pass the peas, Mulder? Pass the peas, Mulder. <laughs> yes. Mulder. Fox Mulder. It's like it's like Pesapi. It's like Mulder is just a shell, like a husk, and the true Mulder is in the Twin Peaks universe as Denise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, if only Denise were on this case, well, had maybe we'd get some done. Denise, this is like I'll tell you what. Right now, this case has got Blue Rose written fucking all over it, and if we just got some decent agents on the case, it'd be fucking solved. I'll tell you what, I'll, in a pinch, I'll take a Dougie Jones. <laughs> he might just stumble onto something. Do you think Mulder is portrayed? Do you think Mulder is, like, there was, like, some sort of crosswire in here and, like, he has the real Mulder actually ended up in the Black Lodge and has somehow made his way through, a, like, an energy socket into Mulder. And that's why Mulder has an inability to do anything Mulder-esque in this episode. He's just sitting there going, Hi! Right. Hey! <laughs> Yeah, just a, a patronizing lazy asshole he, he throughout totally, this entire ap- episode. He's, he's like, for it's some amazing. reason, he's, he's, he's brought his inner Hank from fucking, what do you call it, a Californication at this episode. Just this patronizing womanizer. He just give a fuck. He's like that, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a conspiracy. Ooh, aliens, ooh. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, right. He, he's like, I mean, Scully, come on. I mean, aliens, please. Yeah, I like. I don't know what this character is in this episode. Yeah, it's weird. It's so so. I hadn't even thought about it that way. But you're right. He he's very unmolder in this episode. And I remember there's there was a I want to say it was like season five or season six, where you know the X Files had been you know closed for like the seventeenth time in the show's running, and uh, she met Mulder, and Mulder was doing like a series of live sort of conferences in front of audiences where he was arguing the opposite he was arguing that there was no such things as aliens and it was actually all the government and he was the most unpopular person he's like I, even when I, I'm no longer like talking about aliens and all the rest I'm still the most unpopular but you know people still don't believe me I don't know what I need to do to be believed and you know and even that guy had more conviction than this Mulder who it's just like, yeah, visions, ooh, aliens, you know, there's a possibility that you know, the, the old model would be like, even if I don't believe you, you're telling me there's a chance that all humanity will be wiped out. You, Scully, the woman of science, who, you know, sometimes I disagree with you, but for the most point, you are my trusted advisor. You're the person that keeps me grounded. You'd be my partner for close to 30 years. You're telling me this? Maybe I should do something. But this Mulder in this episode's like, 
Right, like he drags ass until <laughs> shumbles at the door. Well, until the doctor comes in, and the, the other revelation that I actually do think is kind of cool is, uh, she tells Scully, like, "Hey, these pulses that you know they got the message from, which nobody really mentions again, and seems like a thing that ought to be talked about more." Yes, the, but... the, the pulses that allow you to communicate whilst in a coma using Morse code, bro. Yeah, that that to me feels like a fairly significant scientific achievement. You know, like it, one of these things that maybe right. a Nobel Prize would be handed out for. <laughs> like, this person is communicating well, in Morse code from a coma using her brain. This feels like a massive scientific discovery. Yeah, and with, anyway, so <laughs> I was just going to complain about Malter again. But then the the doctor is like, hang on, let me shut the door. Like, And then she lays it on him. She's like, you know, we've had patients from the NSA and DARPA and, you know, all this shit. And she's like, we're on the fringes of science here. And Mulder's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody, just calm down another minute. Let's not get crazy. And she's like, the thing is, we don't think the pulses originated from your brain. You were just conducting. Mm. And... Which is kind of cool. Like, hey, somebody's broadcasting into uh, uh, Scully's brain. But uh, she's like, or well, immediately Mulder's like, hey, she's never been, or no, Scully says, I've never been part of any experiment like what you're talking about. And then Mulder's like, well, you may have been. We don't know everything. <laughs> you said there was a guy, you said there was a guy in your vision. Like, maybe that was an experiment kind of situation. You yeah. never you, know. Well, you, you know, Scully, you have disappeared several times, been abducted by aliens, uh, went off the grid for a while, almost died of some weird cancer and came back. Um, so I'm just saying that maybe yeah. something is... I'm just saying that maybe... You'd be yeah, you're luckily you don't have gills and a prehensile <laughs> tail. <laughs> Just saying that maybe there's some water here. Like maybe we so like maybe this holds some water. Let's let's just double check. There's a potential. <laughs> uh. And then finally, like it takes Scully ripping out the like the probes attached to her and being like, "Look, uh, we can't sit the fuck around here, Mulder. Like somebody's got to go do something." And finally, he's like, "All right, goddamn it!" Finally, Mulder <laughs> says, "Oh no." <laughs> Egypt Mulder is played by Wolfram Brimley? Right. <laughs> Maybe. It's it's appropriate in this episode. God damn, uh, God damn it. God damn. All right. I'll go to South Carolina. <laughs> I ain't happy about it. Coming back on a horse. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop by my house first. Pack a few things. Take a shower. Maybe a nap. Of course I'm not. <laughs> Eat a good breakfast, most important meal of the day. God damn it. And I'll get in that goddamn car, and I'll be in South Carolina obeying the rules of the road and posted yeah. speed limits, god damn it. I'll be, in North Car- I'll be in South Carolina next Tuesday, god damn it. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> but then... <laughs> So good. I don't know if that'll stick yet. We'll we'll see. Uh, 
<laughs> well, if he's not more animated in the next episode, that's her new Mulder voice moving forward. Right, if, yeah, if by episode two he's not getting a little more on the stick. Uh, <laughs> Wilford Brimley it is. Drives the being the speed limit in the car chase. I'm using that in quotation marks. <laughs> Man, all right, but the, all right. So that's the next scene. <laughs> so Mulder again, Margot kitters it up with another monologue, <laughs> and then, as you said, we are treated to the most boring pointless, ass car chase. Pointless car chase because it doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't lead to anything. Yep. The reveal of who this person is. This guy finally comes... We'll jump ahead a tiny little bit. But this guy walks into the room behind him and then, and then is dismissed. So what is the point of the car chase, Bo? Yeah, I mean, it's just, hey, somebody's following him. He does fancy driving. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> and loses him but then gets behind the guy so he is now following he the follower has become the follower ha ha and what happened is Mulder took the wrong turning as Wilford Brimley and managed to finally make his way back there and just decided to follow a car any car <laughs> being robot yeah, his whole method of car chases two wrongs don't make right but three lefts do <laughs> Left, 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 ha ha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gives him the old dipsy doodle, the old dipsy doodle, goddammit. And <laughs> you, you done been horn swoggled by Mulder. Drive along the road, the, the road playing a harmonica and it spins on his leg. <laughs> Back when I was in the Merchant Marines, we called that the 23 Skidoo. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm so so. to fall in love with this episode. <sighs> so. Of the, of the X Files or this, this episode? Alright, alright. Um, so, uh, all right. So yeah, so he trail, uh, and meanwhile, we also have cut interjected with this, uh, Ray's talking to cigarette smoking man. Cause we think that's where he's going. Well, yeah, that's where he's supposed to be going. Yeah, she tells him like he's in Spartanburg, South Carolina, go get him. Cause he's going to end the world. Yeah, and we think into ourselves, if you're a viewer who remembers uh, my struggle to, um, that Mulder did confront him, and then shit went down. Things got a bit cray cray, uh, and I'm like that. Right, so maybe maybe Scully has had a dream of the events that are actually going to happen. And yeah, Mulder is going to go and meet the smoking man. That makes sense. You know that would that's kind of cool conceit that she's actually dreamt what's going to happen, and this is kind of like the build up to those events. So maybe that works. No. No, fuck you, Duncan. Right, uh, be- I am Kaiser Susie. Because her <laughs> visions are bullshit too, apparently. Um, <laughs> her, visions are, her visions, for the most part, are it's like Captain Hindsight from uh, South Park. <laughs> it's just like that. Oh, he's like 
you, you need to go to Spartanburg because the smoking man was there. He's not anymore. <laughs> so, so you probably shouldn't go there, but go there anyway. Go urgently. You need to find, right. you need to find their son, who's not where we think he is, uh, but go and find his like Scully's advice is shit. So I'm actually now thinking yeah. that Mulder had the right idea by not going on this journey. Had he sat where he was, things might have actually been a bit better. I'm... <laughs> I'll pick up his scent. Your nose like a bloodhound, goddammit. <laughs> um, jowls to match. <laughs> I, I once had to survive six weeks in a forest on nothing but gristle and bone. <laughs> You shit powder, goddammit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so there's some business uh, with uh, Scully in the hospital. Uh, and, uh, God, what, what's this dude's name? I want to call him Jeffries, but I know that's not right. It's all the cabin coming back to me. Um, all right, uh, we, we kind of glossed over this, but there's there's a dude who was almost run over in a parking garage, and he got away. And the the dude that was chasing him seems to be the guy that got hornswoggled by Mulder. Yeah, yeah, that's the, right, so the, the smoking man had two sons, right? He had Mulder, and he had Spender, right? Jeff, right, Jeffrey Spender. Spender. That, right. Now, there's some things we need to, like, because... If you're a fan of the series, you know that Jeffrey Spender didn't end up in a great way. Uh, in fact, Jeffrey Spender ended up horribly, horribly disfigured. Which apparently, if you give it, like if you give it a bit of time, Bo, these things heal up pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yep. Yeah. He he he's got a, maybe not a great complexion, but he's yeah, fine. It's, it's like he's it's fine. like he just was like, my face is half melted. I'll just walk it off. <laughs> like, right. Rub some dirt on it, goddammit. Uh, so, so Spender, who's the second son, and it's worth saying as well, the monologue by the smoking man at the beginning was about, you know, the you know, take over the planet, etc., and what he would leave to his children and their children. Right? So the children being Spender, one, uh, who was a, another disappointment to his father, um, who grew up with the smoking man, and Mulder, who was the secret love child, um, who, you know, he kind of had a soft spot. He always kind of had a soft spot for Mulder up until this season. We'll get into that later on. Um, and then the mention of, you know, and their children. So we're assuming William, the child that's been adopted, but the kid of Mulder or Scully, or is it Bo? Hmm? Um, so there's that as well. So, yeah, so Spender, who, who we're bringing out for no real reason at all, there's no reason to bring him back as a character because this could have been any character. But we're going to bring him back anyway. Yeah. Healed, kind of. Um, he almost gets run over by what we th- assume while watching the episode are agents of the smoking man because he apparently is the only person who knows where Mulder and Scully's son ended up. And I'm like, right, well, that's interesting because yeah. of the fever dream we had in the previous episode, yeah, in the previous season, that would have been something that would have been quite helpful. You know, this, we don't know where he is, we don't know how to find him. Spender knows. Um, it's another bit of retconning, maybe. Right, we can write off as that it was a fever dream, but in that episode one, 
Uh, my struggle, <laughs> part one, when William was mentioned, there was no mention of Spender, so you would think that would come up in conversation. Or something. But anyway, so he, he, he was attacked earlier by somebody looking for William, uh, the kid. He shows up at uh, Scully's bedside and is like, hey, people are looking for your son. Uh, the only thing I can give you is a name, um, and that's Vandekamp. Yep. Is the name, like, those are the people that, uh, you know, we, we think have your son. And um, so then Scully calls him to, calls Mulder to tell him that, and Mulder is still driving because, <laughs> you know, 10 and 2, 65 <laughs> miles an hour, goddammit. Slow and steady wins the race, Paul. Slow and steady wins the race. Hey, Rome wasn't built in a goddamn day. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. So, but, and then while she's on the phone, Scully gets brain zapped mm-hmm. again and passes out. Uh, and, and Mulder's just like, well, guess she's hung up, goddammit. And then he's going on about his business. And, uh, there's a little more back and forth with, uh, raising the smoking man. It's all about the importance of William and how this is the smoking man's weakness. And like what we find out really quickly is that the smoking man isn't the person that tried to attack Spender. This is another player who we may or may not find out in this episode. Um, but yeah, like, Reyes keeps reiterating, he's like, well, how would anyone know about him and how would anyone know that he's my weakness? I'm kind of looking at you, Reyes, because you were the only one that knew. Um, and she's like, well, she's like the, I do so, whatever you mean. Well, he and he's like, you and I are the only ones who know this secret, which is that there is a there is a bond between uh, Scully and her child that goes beyond science Mm -hmm. and that, you know, you and I are, are, are sharing the secret, which is ultimately given up like three scenes later. Yeah. And, and so let's just, well, all right, let's save it because we get to the, all the big revelations kind of at the end of this. But anyway, so let's get to uh, Mulder showing up at uh, this house where he, legi- he, in fairness, sees a guy having a smoke in a chair. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, all right, that guy's got a cigarette. I'm looking for a man with a cigarette. Same brand. God damn it. Let's do this. And... It, you know, sneaks into the house. Or, oh God! All right, let me get around this. Wall yeah, like a, like a oh. shite Jason Bourne uh, avoids detection at the window um, by the security. Right, and and then just opens the yeah. door and only doesn't get seen then because the guy's walking the other way. Doesn't open the door like an FBI agent, you know, checking behind the door with no, gun drawn, maybe which would have been useful. Just kind of storms in. Yeah, right. He's just like, no, oh, been in the car for four hours. God damn it. Got to take a piss. Where's the head in this place? <laughs> and storms into an office and is like, oh, Barbara Hershey, what are you doing here? And <laughs> welcome to the show, Barbara then, Hershey. 
w- welcome to the show, Barbara Hershey. And then uh, it's another dude with kind of slick back gray yeah. hair, kind of a pudgy yeah, it dude. it looks just vaguely familiar to, like, has a passing resemblance to a former syndicate member who died horribly in one of the previous seasons. I was burned to death. But this guy vaguely looks like him. And I think was probably cast because he vaguely looked like fat old man. Yes, you'll do. <laughs> Can I ask right. you a serious yeah. question? Do you have gout? You do have gout. Awesome. Hired. Um, <laughs> it's like... <sighs> Welcome to the show, yeah. Gout. Um, uh, this... You're a mean one. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Gelt. did here is just uh, uh, uh just yes I work for the syndicate yes we know <laughs> watching this show yeah. for many many years now we know you work for the syndicate and you you may not know this everybody yeah. does everybody's a goddamn syndicate employee yeah, I love, but the thing point. is though like Barbara Hershey's in a flashback she is old enough to be in that fucking flashback she would be a kid yeah a, a, a yeah, like mm, so. Anyway, uh, but they're like, yeah. See, you know, we, we shared many cigarettes. And now he's left, and I don't know where he is. And we need to get to your son William, because let me tell you something. There's a this conspiracy going on, and uh, this man, your dad, he's at the center of it. And he wants to wipe out humanity, and and we don't. And Mulder's like, well, what do you want? He's like, oh, well. And there are some cool things that come out of this. Well, one of the cool things that comes out of this is one of the conversations is basically they say that aliens aren't coming like to the planet. They've no, I believe the quote is, there's no interest in a warming planet with vanishing resources. And I quite yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I, quite, I quite like this idea. Of, like the aliens came here in the 50s or 60s um, when things were a bit better in a time before Trump, um, you know what I mean? And they were like, yeah, we could colonize this place. We could fuck some shit up. Look at, look how resource heavy this planet is. And within 40 years, in fact, 50 years, like the earth just pissed it away. I elected a reality TV stars, the most uh, TV stars, the most powerful man in the planet and all the rest. And the aliens are like, no, <laughs> Not interested in the Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to pass. We're, we're, we're going to pass? Yeah. Is that what we're saying? We're going to pass. Um, but yeah, I loved that line. And I was like, <clears throat> that's a cool premise. And I quite like this idea of, well, actually, this, this now, this grand conspiracy on this planet is no longer alien-based. It's about how fucking evil humans are. Well, yeah, it's how do we use alien technology in a way that benefits yeah, us. to gain power, like and, ultimate power, and that's what he wants yeah. to do. So this, they claim the smoking man wants to do that, and when Mulder asks him, well, and what's your agenda on that? Well, you might not know this, but space exploration and space tech is a lot further on than the public know, and we're in a position that we can create these Dyson pods, uh, which would sustain life in outer space. And Mulder instantly, for a guy that wants to believe and a guy that believes in extraterrestrials and all that shit, Mulder instantly calls bullshit on this. It's like, bullshit, motherfucker. Ain't no colonizing, nothing. That's not what we're here for. This is not a new day is dawning on Mars. You know, get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get, there's none of this. There ain't no total recall up in this bitch. You are lying to me. There is some ulterior motive, and you're trying to fuck over humanity just as much as he is. And I'm like... Right, the battle lines are now drawn for this season. And it's ultimately going to come down right, to have... who is Mulder going to believe? Is he going to believe Smoking Man? Or is he going to believe 
Barbara Hershey and weird guy that looks like a former syndicate member, but isn't. And the answer kind of seems to be neither. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the more, to me, that's the interesting thing that they set up here in a, in a sea of decisions that are head scratching. Mm. One of the interesting things here is that you have these two factions that are both in pursuit of both Mulder's child because of what he represents and, and as well as the use of this alien technology for different ends, but neither of them are necessarily positive. No, no, but that's, you know, ultimately that, that to me, that is the syndicate. You know what I mean? When we as viewers know that, Mulder knows that. So the fact that the, and the syndicate fucking know that, the fact that we are 11 seasons into this, um, and, you know, this syndicate member is talking to Mulder as if he's, this is the first time they've met. As if, as if this was Blofeld, you know, and going, I am in charge of, you know, what was it, Spectre? Um, you know, like, this is not an introduction to this grand cabal in the background. Mulder knows all this. So the fact that, like, you know, won't you trust us, Mulder? No, is the answer to that question. Why should I fucking trust you? You know, all this shit that you've pulled throughout the, once again, 11 seasons of X-Files has predisposed me to disbelieve everything that you say. And why should I, you know, and all these, it, it, to me is so, why is, uh, here's, a, here's a good question. Why is the syndicate star thing? They've been wiped out twice. And why are they still the, well, why are they yeah. still the big bad in the show? Let's just have one big bad. And Mulder trying to take him down. Why do we need two big bads? Why do we need to muddy the waters even more? I understand it's a conspiracy show and all the rest, but this to me felt like we could have had someone else deliver this message, if you know what I mean. We we don't need one guy from the syndicate saying all this shit. To me, the, the show, that was what was really exciting about the previous season, as it did feel like, right, the smoking man is the, you know, the big bad here. And Mulder and Scully are going to take him down. And that's the way the show, I think, has always been best how it operates. And now, like I say, whilst I like the idea of having this two prongs of, you know, is there a good person? Is there a bad person? Is there someone that's looking out for humanity? Or is this, you know, are both sides kind of playing the same cards, but for slightly ulterior motives? I quite like that. I just think that at this stage in the game, setting up a brand new season, which has already had pacing issues, consider it's 40 minutes long. Um, do we need this ball? Uh, I think it's the most interesting thing in the episode. I mean, if you're saying, do we need it at this point in the series? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, cause it's I mean, maybe this not. Like, There's 10 episodes, remember. 10 yeah, episodes this season. I, hey, if you're asking me if I would like an awesome villain with clear motives... <laughs> Of course I would, Duncan. I would love that in this show. Do I expect that? No, no I don't. And if yeah. if the best I get is some upstart syndicate alliance and the smoking man as rival villains of the season, um, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah but... I just I don't like all the, the, the extent of the retconning now. Is just as it, it makes like previous seasons, which I enjoy, now feel like well, they weren't important. And well, they were important. Yeah, well, it, I mean, they're doing the 
you know, what kind of what the first episode of this season does for the last episode, which is to say, um, that didn't really happen the way you thought it did. And, and if you, but I, I, I get your point and I agree with you that it makes that journey that you took through those episodes feel like they're not respecting yeah, it's cheapened. That, you know? it cheapens it i think yeah I, to me what would be really interesting is if the smoking man has his agenda and they maybe one or two episodes in we get this alternative take and that's what like things like a uh, deep throat in the series or when we had the lone gunmen start to come in and all these like the, the various incarnations of the different characters that were deep throat the kind of respectable english gentlemen that started feeding information from mr marda you know what i mean all these things they came out after the fact, so something would happen and then that information would come out like maybe an episode later or whatever that would fuel this. It's like this season is like, right, all that stuff didn't happen. This is what's happening. Oh, by the way, here are two different things and right, okay. And just if, ironically, for an episode that felt very, very slow, the 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 kind of setup for what I think the season's going to be is delivered very quickly. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I like I say, and I quite like Mulder in this scene. Actually, I kind of thought, you know, this is what years of crying wolf has done to this guy. Is you know, he's now at this point where he just doesn't believe anything for for someone that wants to wants to believe. Um, you know, he's now in a position that he doesn't believe anyone. Uh, which All right, he's like, sounds like grade A horse hockey to me. Goddamn horse apples. Um. So, you know what I mean? Ostrich <laughs> potatoes, we call it out on the range. You know, like, and he's kind of, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's changed quite a bit. But to, totally, it doesn't make sense either because this is all happening real time right off the back of season 10. So this character has made a huge monumental shift in what would be essentially a couple of days in real time, which just feels like and, sloppy and not- writing. Yeah, and and not just tonally, in terms of writing a dramatic television show, (laughs) it helps if your main character kind of wants to do shit, Mm -hmm. you know, or or give me a compelling reason why he doesn't, other than, I'm a little tired, (laughs) goddammit, I'm just gonna kick up my feet, look at this, got a hole in my sock right there on the big toe. (laughs) We've all been there. We've all been there. Ought to, ought to darn that up, goddammit. Um, uh, and all right, so and here's the other thing that's running in parallel, because we have kind of three things going on all at the same time. One is uh, Mulder being talked to by this syndicate rebirth, syndicate 2.0 shit. Where they're, you know, and and he's giving them the the Heisman mm-hmm. on that, and then we have Scully, who decides she's going to leave. She has left the hospital for the uh, FBI office. Has another vision, like that's when she was on the phone with Mulder, and then gets in her car. Skinner finds her phone, and they realize that, or he realizes, like she's taken mm-hmm. off. But without her phone, like she was all tatered from the vision and was disoriented. And so she gets in her car and is starting to have more visions and we start to see William's face pop up. And then she has a car accident 
Um, women drivers, am I right? Yeah. God damn it. Plus, um, the, the, and, what we've realized very, very quickly about the return of the X-Files is they don't like Gillian Anderson to have much walking time in any episode. We really like her confined to a bed. Right. And all right, so here's the journey of her character in this show is she passes out in the FBI. Mm-hmm. They take her to the mm-hmm. hospital. She has some visions. Mm-hmm. She goes back to the FBI office where she passes mm-hmm. out and then gets taken back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Ugh. This is Gillian um, Anderson. She's a fucking national treasure. And to me, there's there's a distinct reason why this week it was revealed she has said she will not be returning for X-Files season 12. Right. I'll do another season of The Fall where I get to do awesome mm-hmm. shit. And and get to stretch as an actor and be generally. Now, like I'm awesome. bummed about this because I'd like I love seeing Gillian Anderson in anything, and the fact that she's also announced in the last week and a half that she's not returning to American Gods either. Um, I'm just like no work, Gillian. <laughs> Please do stuff. Yeah, uh, but I I mean uh, we'll we'll see how the rest of the rest of the season plays out. But yeah, if this is how they use her, like just get anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't have to do anything. I'm in a coma for part of it, and then I get choked. <laughs> the vi- the uh, vital information know. that was passed here was done in blips on a screen. Thanks. Um. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, okay, and also, like, after, while Scully is having her accident and going back to the hospital, Skinner is getting in a car to go after her, and Ray's and the Smoky Man show up and explain to us yet again <laughs> that there is a alien virus that's going to wipe everyone out. Um, and then, for some reason, the Smoky Man has it on him in a yeah, vial. Yeah, which could fall at any time and kill humanity. But this small glass vial, which he likes to produce every now and again, just for dramatic effect... Right. Like, yeah. What if he like bashed into someone accidentally and it went off in his pocket? It seems reckless. Because the whole idea oh. is that he's got this carefully crafted plan <laughs> decades in the making. <laughs> and that it all hinges on uh William, who has to be mm-hmm. found. So nothing can happen. The reason we haven't started all of this apocalypse is because we have to have William. I love this idea of like I'm going this. But <laughs> let me keep it on me for safe for safe <laughs> keeping. I'm lifting his, his pocket like this and going this vial here, the only vial of a deadly toxin. That one, like Skinner just takes it off him, leaves the car, runs away from a frail old man and a woman. Right, just oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> running off like a a loony tune. <laughs> bouncing on his head and ass, and if that happened, this would be the greatest episode of any television show that had ever been. Give me that! No, no, no! It's a pathogen, not yours anymore. Right, he just snatches it out of his hands. Da 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 da. da. Frail old fucking nicotine stained hand. Um. 
By the yeah. way, there's, a, there's a 1956. Anyone that chain smokes gets that yellow finger, and the smoking man doesn't have that, and he smokes a lot. Inconsistency, X Files. Yeah. But yeah, like, so, and then and then we get the reveal, reveal, right? Okay, well, also, before that happens, yeah. Doppel Cooper and Doppel Mulder, or Doppel uh, Mulder and Doppel yeah. Scully show up. And which are the the youngins yeah, from and... last season? X Files yeah. Junior, X Files Jim Henson's X Files. Yeah, who we genuinely thought. Remember last season we were like that. This show might pass this over to them. As the new, we were wrong. How wrong? Yeah, we? <laughs> and and, be, and it's such a dumb dynamic. They look like you know Mulder mm-hmm. and Scully. Only guess what, Duncan. Oh. The girl is into the conspiracy theories, and the guy's a little straight-laced. You know what, you know what they and, call that in Hollywood, Bo? The old switcheroo. Called the old Dipsy Doodle. <laughs> did it Did it to that guy we never saw again. Yeah, did it to them young'uns. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> it's growing on me. I'm getting there. Um... <laughs> And, leave, God damn it. and all right, so and it turns out that the the X Files babies found Scully. They were there at the scene of the mm-hmm. accident. That's why they're at the hospital. And they're like, "Is she okay?" And they're like, "No, she's got a fucking brain thing, <laughs> like you, and a car like accident." You, like, yeah, something something strange is happening here, and like everyone's on high alert. Now leave here, and when a strange man you don't recognize bumps into you aggressively and then walks towards Scully, just keep walking. <laughs> don't use any of that yeah. FBI instinct, that training. Don't use any of that at all. Just let that stranger right. walk towards Scully. There's menace looking Just <laughs> keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And then you know <laughs> they did a dory. <laughs> huh. I think when I bumped into uh him, my elbow felt the butt of a gun under yeah. his shoulder. Just keep swimming. <laughs> this, Just this keep swimming. large guy dressed in a suit who's clearly some sort of CIA spook. Um, Marching, der- like, pointedly towards a woman in a fucking yeah. coma. <laughs> Nothing to see here. It's like Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> right, for the fireworks factory. Yeah. <laughs> Go about your business. There's nothing here to see. <laughs> and funnily enough, this guy goes up to Scully and he has no good intentions at all. He No, he's trying to cuckoo's nest her. <laughs> cuckoo's nest. And and she busts out of that and then he's like, Fuck it, well, let's do this the good old fashioned way. Yeah, and hand just... throat strangle. Uh-huh. And then we come to another moment where I was like, the fuck? Yep. Because she's, like, trying to get free and can't, and it looks like it's it's coitins f- for Scully. <laughs> um, and then Mulder... Yep, drove back at light speed. Like, clearly, it was not a being a speed limit. Um, well, like, trip back is always shorter, goddammit. I don't know yep, why, it uh, just feels that way. It's good to get makes home. It, makes it back just in time to not, like, question this guy or, you know, like, maybe want to take him right. for a bit of question. Who sent you? Yeah, what? like, li- <laughs> takes uh. a scalpel to this guy's throat and damn near decapitates him. Yeah, 
fucking OJ's this guy. <laughs> Listen, if the gloves don't fit, you gotta quit. Yeah, if the plot don't fit. But, alright, in addition to the fact that it's just... If the plot doesn't fit, Chris Carter's writing shit, is that what you're saying? I... Oh, Duncan. I know, did it, did mm. it. We'd do it again, we'd do it again, no regrets. Oh, man. Uh... So, <laughs> so not only from a strategic point of view, Duncan, <laughs> of like, I should know more about what's going on because I don't know who to trust. And if we've got this guy in custody, maybe I can get some answers. Mm-hmm. Besides that, at no point wasn't someone like, you're a fucking agent of the FBI. You couldn't cuff him? You went straight to the OJ? The guy doesn't have a weapon in his hands. He's manually strangling Scully, which means I can use the butt of my gun and just cock him on the side of the head. I don't know, press the gun to the back of his head, threaten him. Maybe identify myself as a federal officer, because believe it or not, regardless if he's strangling or not, I still have to uphold the law. Right, even if... Like, downright murder someone in a fucking hospital. Yeah, I... It, it's head scratching that in in one of the things I expected when they they cut to like Mulder and Scully sitting on you know a bench outside the room where they're they're dragging out the fucking body bag <laughs> and, and and at no point did someone does someone come up to Mulder and be like I'm afraid you've got to come with me you just committed <laughs> murder yeah. Do you want to come into some counseling? We think that you may have used slightly aggressive tactics. At Why least. Just, I didn't think. I didn't think it was going. to... I thought the reveal was going to be that it was Skinner that had saved her. I didn't because Mulder was in fucking Spartansburg like three minutes ago. Um, you know, <laughs> I had a tailwind. goddammit. it! <laughs> but yeah, like at this point, yeah, this guy like Mulder is getting taken in and sat down with some people being told that he's been put on some sort of probation and being monitored by a psychiatrist for the next three months. Fucking internal affairs. <laughs> uh, I, the paperwork alone. Yep. I I mean, it blew my mind, Duncan. Yeah, plus he must have walked right past Einstein and what's the reason they didn't right. like, stop to chat to him or... You know, like, I just, oh yeah, I just, I, I he murdered someone. Yeah, cold, my, and I, I, in cold seen, fucking seen, blood. I've seen Mulder shoot some people, I've never seen him scalpel someone's head off. Right, it's like you, you're, you're forced into violence. Like, Mulder has always, to me, been the character that, like, he's the old-timey sheriff. Like, I don't want to have to pull my gun, man. Like, that's not what I'm about. Um, <laughs> the old uh, the Bill, Bill Hicks get pick up the gun. Yeah, huh? <laughs> y'all saw him. The man had a gun. <laughs> pick it up. Uh, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> such a good bit. Yeah, here, get Gingham, sir. Gingham from a wife. I don't even know what Gingham is. <laughs> I don't even know what Gingham is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Hex, we love you so much. Uh-huh. Jack Lance is on point. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Let's get back to this 
stupid fucking show. So, <laughs> sorry. Um, so Skinner then strolls up and is like, "Hey, man, <laughs> what's up? What's up?" Right, like, and but he's not a like. His first words are to Scully. He was like. I heard you got attacked, not Mulder. I heard you murdered someone <laughs> yeah. not minutes ago. And so Mulder is like, the fuck have you been? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Scanner's like, what are you talking about? I was out looking for Scully. And he's like, yeah, I, God I, damn it. You smell like smoke. Yeah. I was uh, speaking to a hedge hog. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> And he's just like, just leave it alone, Mulder. And he's like, God damn it, I won't leave it alone. I'm give you what for? And <laughs> <laughs> I've just murdered a man. <laughs> right. Uh, this is a dude who just killed someone when he had at least 50 other options. Yeah, like, like all him. those questions that he wants Skinner to ask, he could have asked the man he murdered. And, and so then we do a flashback where we cut to the conversation that skinner has with the cigarette smoking man when like the cigarette smoking man is like you know we're done here and skinner is like bull to the shit and pulls a gun on him yeah and uh so he's like you know why are you why are you doing this like why are you saving scully what is your interest in her and then we have a flashback uh to Season seven. Season seven, when the cigarette smoking man, Bill Cosby's Dana. <laughs> mm, you take the pill and you get a little woozy and woozy. Um, so. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, fuck. And and so, you know, in the flashback, Scully wakes up and is like, what fucking day is it? He's like, oh, you've been sleeping for like 30 hours. And she's like, all right, I'm going back to work. And eh. and so the big reveal here is that the father, that William's father is actually the cigarette smoking man. Or is that? Conceived during this time. In theory, according to the cigarette smoking man, yeah, it, it is a pinch of salt with this dead man. Seriously, it's a super baby that he created using his his spermicles yeah. and alien DNA as well, and uh, you know they made they made William, who is a half human, like mostly human slash kind of alien baby. Mm-hmm. And then we see to round out the show uh, a clip of said William, who is the face we've been seeing um, Scully flash to, and and that's it. That's uh, my struggle part three, aka yeah. my struggle to make sense of this. <laughs> Zing. Um, aka my struggles to understand. Who Mulder is in this season, by the way? Man! What's it, his motivation? I, like, I don't know. He kind of... He is not the Mulder that I remember. No. 
And which is to say, he doesn't want to do anything in this show. Um, Like his whole character is just like, I don't believe you. You're wrong. Do I have to? And after a while, I just didn't care. And that fucking terrible car chase doesn't help. Oh, it goes on far too long. And it's shot like every, like if uh, you turned on CBS and watched NCIS or CSI, you know, San Diego or whatever the fuck, the the same car chase would be on that show. Yeah, but what? Once again, out with, out with um, out with the need to follow someone to find out where this and there, you could other plot devices to get him there. There's so many other plot devices that he has. He's a fucking federal agent, you know. I just and then, and then it felt like it was going to be important, and then for this guy to literally walk in the room and be told you're dismissed, we're okay here. And I guess like, all right then, thanks. Yeah, maybe. I'm so glad that I travelled this long ass drive from from Washington D.C. down to fucking Spartansburg, which is not a short drive, by the way, um, or from Virginia down. I, I don't know. Um, I just. Right, but it's like it's like the Scully thing of I, I'm going to the hospital to get out of the hospital to go back to the hospital. It's yeah. I'm going to go to South Carolina to get, you know, I guess the reveal that there's this other agency, you know, the this other syndicate uh, involved. But then I just go back to where the show started. And why were like and so- oh and. Another goddamn th- uh, sorry, but another thing that they say on this show uh, when when uh, Mulder and Scully are talking after he viciously kills someone, yeah, in cold blood, in cold blood, and he's like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" And she's like, "Well, I guess we just keep investigating like we always do." And it's like, "What are you talking about?" No, like you don't have to, there's a man with a scalpel. I think things have changed now. And also, you're talking about a global epidemic. Yeah. And and like how is the episode if the next episode is a monster of the week episode which I hope it is um it shouldn't be No I, it I should think be from, like from what I, I cuz there are agencies out there that have had access to the first 5 episodes um and advanced reviews non-spoiler reviews have said that the carry particularly in the first five episodes, they carry a lot of the the plot, you know, where in the past they would drop them for most of the season and then come back and kind of close out the season with, you know, well, like they did in the previous uh, season of the X-Files. Uh, there are storylines carrying through here. So they're at least trying to push them through in between solving X-Files. But you're right. To me, the X-Files are just so not important at the moment. The important thing is all humanity is about to be wiped out. Um, so maybe we need to tell someone or, you know, two people are not going to save the day here. Or uh, And we also know people are hunting our child. Yes. You know, like those seem, both seem super important. Yeah. And, and the decision isn't, hey, do we investigate this case of a fucking man-eating giant turtle in Louisiana? Or do we try to find our son and or stop the end of the world? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, yeah, I I think they, they they've raised the stakes to such a point 
that it's kind of hard to keep that level of hysteria, but also how do you not given the stakes that you've created? Yeah, but this is to me like I see that once again thinking about Chris Carter. But this is what they did in Millennium. Like in season two, it was the world's going to be wiped out and you know, all this stuff happened. And in season three, started doing like yeah, some people died, not a lot of them. Um, uh, and it was this localized thing in LA, but everything's fine now. And we're just going to pretend that it didn't really happen. And I, I kind of felt like that's kind of what the you know like it's. The, the sense of urgency that should be here is not here at all. And no one seems to, like, for all like, halfway through this episode, everyone seemed to be, gra- you know, grasping at the gravity of the situation. By the end of this episode, it's like, well, you win some, you lose some, Bo. And I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. I- yeah, it does It does feel like, a, well, I just murdered someone because they were after you and tried to choke you to death in your coma bed. Mm-hmm. Where you know that she was visited. Yeah, oh, I, if she was ever going to be visited in a coma, that may have been who was communicating by Morse code. Right. <laughs> Agent Scully! <laughs> it's Coma Hawk! And it wasn't, it wasn't find him, it was find Ed. <laughs> it was... Find dreams! <laughs> Silent run dreams. Yeah, she she advertises to people in comas. <laughs> when you get out of your coma, <laughs> try run silent run dreams. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh dear. Um, I man. All right, uh, I, we might as well just. Uh, briefly discuss uh how we felt about this episode i feel like i i've made no no mystery of the fact that i thought this had some interesting ideas in it mm-hmm. but felt so like there's such a mishmash of retconning coupled with characters not behaving the way i want them to behave paired with uh, not using Gillian Anderson hardly at all. Yeah, uh, that was one of my big problems in the previous season as well as I think in three of the six episodes, Gillian Anderson's role was minimized to... I, she was either just on the phone or she was in a hospital bed. And I don't understand why that's... The, I think it's a lazy habit to do when I would argue that she's a better actor than David Duchovny. She's the best actor on the show. I think her and Mitch uh, Pelagi yeah, are, uh, yeah. are, are the most fun on the show because they seem to know what show they're in. David yes. Duchovny just has the one speed of, Hi, I'm David Duchovny. I'm going to continue to speak in this manner throughout yeah. the show. and Which is uh-huh. which is ironic because when you see him in other things, Duchovny has a... Like, you see when we saw him have that weird cowboy line dance drug fueled scene in the previous season that was so much fun yeah i was like give me more of that because that's what the company's like in real life he's a prankster a jokester he's like a a good time guy he's like a fun guy and this show finds a way to suck the life out of him yeah generally it's okay because he plays into it but in this episode it was like he couldn't even be bothered doing that yeah like the x-files to me is at its best when Mulder is is both right Mm mm-hmm a little playful about it, 
but also like like when he's playing that devil's advocate of like you know this thing we're investigating let's take it to this illogical conclusion but also why not and and you know and scully is forever the uh the person to deflate these crazy arguments and mm. and i mean again that's when it's at its best that's kind of peak uh x files and and we're in a different place with the show and and we should you know like uh twin peaks season 3 perhaps we we should expect something different um mm. but yeah it does feel like they're not even consistent with that 10 episode season that they did before in a way like it doesn't feel consistent with even that which doesn't feel totally consistent with the rest of x files Mm -hmm. so we're now like you know playing a game of telephone with these characters and stories where i don't even feel like this is necessarily an x files i recognize yeah yeah I, I agree. I agree. It was uh, to me. It was a wholly frustrating watch, and I mean, it's one episode, and we have nine episodes still to watch. We sure, will, we will. I'm open minded on the chin, and and memory serves like that. The two weakest episodes for me in the previous season were both titled "My Struggle," and the ones that got more interesting were the ones in the middle. Um, so Boy, that um, Reese Darby episode's real good. It's you know it's up there amongst the best, I think. I and, and let's not forget Homeless Predator, which to me will always hold a little place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. Homeless in Predator. in a weird way, the Ben Laurie conversation is, yeah, it's is become iconic. Is it's almost worth returning to X Files just to <laughs> you know just to come home again. So yeah, I mean, if that's indicative of where we're going, if it means that I have to suffer through this episode and whatever the finale is going to be, but I'm going to get at least a handful of good episodes throughout the 10, you know, episode season, then I'm in. All it needs to do is give me one or two really good episodes and I will be happy overall. This is not setting out its best stall for that. But it's having to try and pick up from the mess that was the end of the previous season. From from an ending they could never really go on from. It's like you say, the stakes have been raised so high at the end of the previous season, they almost had to retcon a lot of it to try and give them the run that they have now. So I'm kind of hoping that, yeah, very much like yourself, they start moving off and doing a bit more Creature of the Week stuff and, and all that. And we'll see. We'll see where it goes. At the moment... Well, I think we both agree it wasn't a great episode at all. Um, however, we are here with you for the next nine weeks, so strap yourselves in, and hopefully we're going to see something a little bit special. Yeah, uh, we we can hope. And if not, I am so uninvested in this silly story at this point yeah. that... We'll ridicule it. I kind of... <laughs> like, like, if you're not going to give me... Fun, occasionally tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, entertaining and consistent episodes. Mm. I want it to go real bad. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, I want it to be one or the other. I want it to be really entertaining or that it just gets worse and worse until, you know, 
we've got a new Nadine on our hands. Yes, which is a, a high possibility. So <laughs> I'll tell you what, if if the X-Files babies start figuring heavily into this, I'm, I'm going to lose interest even faster. And yeah. uh, I hope that this was a cameo where they were just like, hey, remember these people? Bye-bye. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with that if if they start showing up and replacing Jillian Anderson in scenes where she should be in them. God damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, agreed. There we go. All right. All right. That Woo. is <laughs> the the initial outing. Uh, the first uh, step in our investigation of X-Files season 11. 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven. Mm. All right. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> folks, thank you so much uh, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we will be back in uh, about a week. You know, we're going to try to keep up with this on, on the reel. And uh, if we get behind a week or two, then we'll make it up. So for the next, uh, you know, 10 weeks, uh, here we are talking uh, Scully and Mulder and alien babies mm-hmm. and cigarette smoking men mm-hmm. and safe driving. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to pull a Brimley all the way through this. Uh-huh. I'm looking for the bit where he morphs into Mr. Tajimura. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I I don't think Wilford Brimley would have ever played uh, an Asian gentleman. No, he would have been Wilford Brimley. Yeah. All right. God damn it, Tajimura. You know, I mean, can't you tell by the accent? God damn it. Speak I, perfect Japanese. I refuse to say me love you wrong time. Oh, me so horny. <laughs> there, <laughs> God damn it. Oh, me so horny. Oh, so uh, you never would think of being horny at anything other than meat. <laughs> I bet. I bet he has fucked a red one. Oh, yeah, he is. I, I think in his movie stars, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I at some point he has driven up the California coast and was like, "I swear to God, I'm gonna fuck the oldest thing I can find." Yeah, and that was uh, the great movie Cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> you just run the you, train on the cast. <laughs> we're come with me. We're gonna fuck some redwoods. You're never yeah. gonna grow old. You're never gonna die. <laughs> Are you going to come back and visit? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway. The sequel to that movie. It was a kick in too. Uh, uh, I love this idea for this movie now. All right, folks. Uh, I know I started to say goodbye earlier. We're really going to do it this time. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, drop us a line over at uh, the podcast under the stairs uh, on Facebook for Duncan. Legion podcasts uh, from myself or Duncan. Uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly. And uh, uh, if you listen to the show on uh, iTunes or any of them iPod apps, uh, leave us a rating review. We uh, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back in a week to talk about more X-Files. Hopefully this one will in- feature some sort of slime monster. Oh, yes. Or at least a homeless predator. So, <laughs> Tombs. 
Tombs. Uh, bring them oh, bring fuck. Them if, back. They did, if they did a Tombs episode, I'm back on board, man. If they did a Tombs episode, this, the, everything has been worth it. Yeah. Ever, uh, I, and I mean from the Industrial Revolution on. <laughs> All right, say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Bye, everybody. I find myself captivated. Stop doing what you keep doing it to. I'd rather stay bold and lonely. I dream of. Sweet.